Live from the William Howard Taft Memorial Auditorium, high above the New Haven skyline, this is the third annual Pivotal Film Awards! That's what we're doing. Larry Kasdan? No, Lawrence Kasdan is... Are we starting? Oh, are we? Oh, I thought you were recording. I am recording. Okay, good. No. That goddamn... Oh, 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 oh. yeah, Introductionalist. Yeah, yeah. What's the ter- what narrator? Introductionalist uh, is, yeah. is the word. Yeah. He wants uppers. He wants downers. He wants lefters. He wants writers. He wants... Diagonalers. He wants twenty-four dollars beers. He wants a full year subscription to the New York Times crossword puzzle. I think it's time we get somebody new. But he's so good. He's obviously very he's smart. Also very single. Yeah. Well, ladies. <laughs> Are you saying you want a year subscription to the New York Times crossword puzzle? I, I don't do the voice in the beginning. <laughs> Not me at all. It's you. That is me. Yeah. <laughs> Florence Kasdan. <clears throat> what if it was Lawrence Kasdan? It's Neil. Is Lawrence Kasdan on cameo? If we do this oh, next year, man, can we get Lawrence Kasdan to do the introduction? And he's just like, please, guys, leave me alone. He's just like, you fuckers, <laughs> you fucking assholes. You're why I couldn't book that new Indiana Jones gig. <laughs> they thought I was kidnapped somewhere in New Haven. Yeah, but so this is the uh, 2020 Pivotal Film Awards. It's been a year. Um. I guess the quick aside is is all the other 2020 film awards things are doing their things in their ways. You know, a lot of movies aren't going to be in our 2020 list because they're not fucking 2020 movies for nope. us. Our, nope. our year went from, well, it went from released in America for consumption January 1st to December 31st, a remade early on an exception for... One Night in Miami, um, which got a, a limited theatrical release yeah. in December. Yep. Um, and then was, you know, released on Prime January 15th. But other films, you know, like Nomadland, still not available for us. Minari, not available. Um, so those movies that kind of popped up in January aren't going to be on here. Mm-hmm. Even though they got, like, a one theater release because, fuck you, nobody's going to a theater. Well, and even stuff that, like, is going to be... Promising Young Woman would have been a 2021 movie... Had we not, had you not, you know. But it was also released in theaters. Yeah, it was. In December. But like, had I seen that in 2021, mm-hmm. like, for example, Clemency. Mm-hmm. Clemency would have counted for the 2020 list. Yeah. I didn't know, I never saw it, but, you know, whatever. I didn't uh, put it on. I just, it, we had so many conversations about it. It was like, this is too weird. I saw the Guardian, like, list, and they put Clemency, like, at four or three, and I was like, all right, Clemency. Yeah. Well, they do stuff differently in, in England anyway, so. But I would have been fine with, like, Clemency popping up. Like, if it, for these things, like, if they pop in, like, December as limited release, but don't come out to somewhere near us until right. February, I'm, from now on, we're going to count those as the next year's film. Well, and for me, I think one of the things. And you'll that, see that today. Yeah, one of the things that we talked about a little bit in regards to another movie that if you listen to the next week episode, uh, you know, has, like, a lot of specific relevance for um, because we already recorded it before we recorded this. Top that, Gun Matt. I wanted it to be indicative of like my film watching experience. Mm. I want this list to be indicative of my film watching experience for that year. And yes, I saw a bunch of these movies in 2021. So but did I. They came out in 2020. 
um, and our 2020 movies, but they just weren't available to us to see because everything sucks until 2021. And they so those still kind of feel like it's part of the same the same experience. You know what I mean? And I think including Nomadland or including Minari, if we were able to get a screening of that, would feel weird because those movies aren't even coming out for another month. Yeah, I think, and then they're not even going to win Oscars until April. I think if we had seen those, I would I would have pushed to not include them still. Mm-hmm. Um, to to push them off, I think so too. And it just because we we tried to get a Nomadland and Minari screening. Yeah, and we're taking a long Three time to times. get into these awards. But on January thirteenth was like national was like Korean some it was like some kind of Korean holiday, um, and they were doing screenings for Minari like everywhere. But I you couldn't sign up. For them, for certain, unless you were like belong to these specific Korean organizations. Well, that's good. It was good, but it was just frustrating because you yeah. Googled like Minari screenings and you get like eight selections. You're like, oh my God. But you know, we'll have it available to us in a few weeks. Might be good. So we start every year with our best moments of the year. Um, this year, Tom, I, I think I think the big thing we should do is, is just mention the first, the film first off. Sure. Just so like we mentioned the film. Because it's a weird year, a lot of people haven't gotten around some of these movies, then it gives, you know, you just pass ahead 30 seconds, and we'll move on. So we'll mention the film first, then we'll mention what we're talking about in the scene. Mm-hmm. It's know. fair. Yeah. Uh, do you want me to start? We'll do this uh, we'll draft s- style? We'll snake it, yeah. Okay. Best moments of the year, our top ten. We only have top tens for our best moments of the year and our best films. Mm-hmm. Got to bookmark them. Uh, my number ten from Promising Young Woman it is when uh, uh, Carrie Mulligan, I don't have her character's name up on this, my screen right now, uh, hears Ryan's voice uh, while she's watching the video. Mm. Um, just all, We've talked about this over the years. I like a lot of face acting and a lot of face revelation acting, and Carrie Mulligan's doing some solid fucking work there. And, mm-hmm. You know, that's like that in, in addition to the movie we're going to talk about next week is, is one of the two moments that stood out to me of the year – of just like that medium shot face acting, mm-hmm. just like doing a lot of work, and it's a it's a great turning point in that film. And it's I especially love that face acting because in contained within that is a bunch of um, other knowledge, like the fact that she was kind of it almost seemed like she was waiting for this to happen, and she kind of knew it was going to mm-hmm. happen, but it's still because of that it so still fucking hurts. It's fucking delicious. We're drinking uh, MC squared from. Equilibrium Brewing in Middletown, New York, because we're smart fellas. That's delicious. Um, yeah, it's a good one. That's a good one. I remember that. She seems so like scraped out in that scene. Like, like everything that was happening to her is just like eating her up. Yeah. My number ten relates a little bit to that idea. The scraped out feeling. The feeling of like intense revelation. It's from the documentary The Painter and the Thief, and it is when. Uh, Barbara, the painter, shows um, Carl Carl Barrett, Barrett. Yeah, whatever his name is, uh, the first painting she does of him. Yeah, that, this was that was a, a hike. Knocked for me. me the fuck out, and it's I think it's a genius documentary that we'll talk about later. Um, but his reaction is there's so much pain and there's so much kind of just like unknowable stuff that's just coming out of this guy it's this this 
on live catharsis captured on on camera it's pushing just, her away when she tries to like hug him at it's first. just really it's just so fucking intense it was it, it, it was kind of amazing it's like a late addition to this but it was one of those things i paused it after i saw it and i added it to my i went and found my papers and i added it to it because it was just it's that intense um my number nine is going to be less intense and there's less uh, scraping out or face acting. It's because it's an animated movie. It's the uh, the uh, wolf walkers scene. The running with the wolves scene when mm-hmm. when the two characters are wolves together at night and they're doing it. It's just it's just this great passionate scene. It's really um, it's intense in a different way. It's all it's all very cinema. This is one of the movies. And I think we talked about this. I feel like we've been talking about this all night. Um, or maybe we talked about it in next week's episode, so I'm seeing the future now. I would have loved to have seen this movie in like on a big screen. Yeah, me too. And I think some of that, st- some of this scene, specifically this scene, would have been almost overwhelming. It didn't resonate with me, I think, because I watched it on a computer screen. Apple right. TV, get your fucking shit figured out. Let me watch stuff on a. I guess I can use an HDMI mm-hmm. cord, but still, figure your shit out. But that's even that's not, not as enough, good, you not know. Enough, yeah. Um, but that was that's there's just there's an energy to that there's like an innocence to that and it's it's um it was really great and uh yeah we'll we'll talk a little bit about Wolfwalkers later yeah I think Wolfwalkers is something I would have appreciated a lot more had I seen it on the big screen um but there's a lot of choreography in that scene Tom and I love myself some choreography like in Borat subsequent movie film my number nine <laughs> the Moon Blood Fertility Dance. Ugh. It's so um, rough. The rough, but absolutely the the funniest sequence uh, of a movie this year for me. Mm-hmm. Um, just I, <clears throat> it was one of those times. Hey, I'm not going to use that. I was going to say like, like I couldn't breathe laughing, but like given the year, I don't want to use those words like COVID and yeah, 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 yeah. And, and other stuff. Um, but like it was, I haven't been knocked down laughing like like just really overcome by laughter mm-hmm. in a long time, and that scene's just like pitch fucking perfect everyone keeps like mentioning the interview scene like in the end and that's fine and all that but like no Th- this film is predicated upon like that is absolutely the sasha baron cohen and maria kailova should know her name because we're talking about her uh experience um that's just those two such in tandem and just the faces of everyone around them it's just it's brilliant oh it's fantastic and you know it's coming yeah um <laughs> And you don't want it to. But when it does, does, you're you're just like, like, oh my god, that's so good. Uh, Knowing when something's coming and not wanting it to happen, um, and it ended up happening, is in uh, my number eight, too. Which is, uh, once again, Baccarat? Hmm? Baccarat? Baccarat? Is that how you say it? Baccarat. Oh, Baccarat? Is in a Baccarat, which is a film you never ended up seeing, Correct. Yeah. I took uh, a stand against Hype Machine and just said, no way. It is the uh, farm table meeting um, early on in the film, about 15 minutes in, after uh, the two bikers, the two native Brazilians, have, you know, killed um, two of the locals of Baccarat. But I'm not going to say that movie, that name. They say it so many times in that fucking movie, yet it's not sticking. <laughs> Sorry. Um, we've talked about this. I don't know how the. I spent six years doing French. Can't do. I can read it. From the, I can't say it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Yeah, no, it's 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 it encapsulates so much in that table. Yeah, how much of the do you know of this film? Do you know about? All I know is that it takes place in a town, and that it's a vaguely horror f- film, and that Udo Kier is in it. It's it's not horror. Um, it's a it's like a western. Uh, anyhow's and anyhow's, uh, it's it basically ends up being a bunch of Americans and first worlders kind of speaking racism against two Latino people who just killed. You know their own, in a, in a, not, not not like Latin, like Brazilians who had killed Brazilians, mm-hmm. um, and kind of dealing with that, mm-hmm. and then having to deal with a bunch of white people uh, telling them that they're not white, but they could almost pass for white, and mm-hmm. it's just the the driving intensity of this scene mixed with just like the cold, dark humor of it. Finally, with a kind of explosive finale, is just mm-hmm. pitch perfect. Awesome. Yeah, we're gonna be talking about the movie a lot. It's one of those things where I might watch it later, but it was it happened. This movie got released when there were no movies. And so there was a... Uh, it almost seemed like there was a content machine that developed around saying how great this movie was without actually even saying that it was great. Just like, it's a movie, so it, and it's, uh, it's, you know, so it has to be good. So that's why I took a stand. It, and I don't feel bad. I'll say this. It, it, it feels like a S. Craig Zeller film made from a liberal standpoint. Oh man! So does anybody get pulled in half? Uh, no, but somebody very much gets their head blown off, and it's the very much like showing the head, and it's clearly a fake head, but like the brain matter and all that's everywhere. I'm always pro fake head. It's getting blown off. Um, I think you'll. I think you'll actually. I do think you'll like it. A lot. So Mario, what you were describing was fake death, and so my new uh, my number eight is going to dabble in some real death. Um, I know you saw this movie because you were. You were watching it when I got here. Um, my number eight is the Collective Fire from Collective. We have some crossover. That shit is fucking insane, and I didn't need it. I was actually hoping, actively hoping for a Grizzly Man scenario, where Werner Herzog like famously just listens to the bears, you know, um, eating that guy. Um, I would have been very happy with that. Was what it was. Um, when the when the uh, perspective changes and they cut to that other camera shot and the fire has is just like sweeping through everything, um, I don't know. It kind of like took my breath away, and I just it sets the tone. I mean that in that movie is structurally perfectly composed, also. Um, but yeah, it's just fucking intense. It's an it's an intense experience. I don't know what else there is to say. Um, did you feel weird watching that at all? Uh, I'm not going to talk about it. Okay. You could probably guess why. Yeah. Um, <laughs> my, number, my number seven, I guess, is you know going in a little bit of a different direction, um, is uh, from Kajillionaire. We talked a little bit about it at the time. It's when they all live in the old – they pretend to live in the old man's house. And Gina Rodriguez is playing the piano. And <clears throat> um, – Richard Jenkins and Old Dolly are watching TV, and, and Deborah Winger is making some food. Um, there's just like a real there's a, there's moments in this super kooky movie um, where Miranda July dips into a kind of super intense sadness, um, and that's one of those things. And there's but it also kind of because the movie is so kooky, it renders a kind of stasis to everything that's happening. It has the perfect music. It's staged perfectly. It has the perfect kind of sound design. Um, and it's just really beautiful and really powerful. And kind of is like the perfect buttress 
to like the beginning of the movie and like the end of the movie. Um, so yeah, that's my. So what number are you? Six. I'm on my seven. Seven. All right. Uh, now we hit the trio of speeches. Uh, that great speeches. Speech in film. trio. Uh, my first one is from the Five Bloods, and uh, you can't kill Paul. You can. Not mine also. Kill Paul. Um, we'll talk. Yeah, we'll just. I'll, I'll leave it there. We'll okay. talk about yeah, it. Yeah, we'll get, get to it. We'll pick it up. Yeah. Um, my number six. I, I. I almost. I think could also possibly be on your list. Uh, from Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. It is not, but okay. not for, uh, yeah. But did you turn your back? Yeah, uh, monologue. It's insane. Um, from Chadwick Boseman, uh, just an amazingly powerful performance in the way that it, it carries an emotion over two minutes of screen time. You know, Wolf has such a commanding control on how that scene is presented, and it speaks volumes to everything. It is like the blasphemous speech, but it is it is so well earned in the sense of its of its intensity and its emotions. And Chadwick Boseman's leaving everything on the screen there. Um, yeah. When I find too about that one, and I think that one kind of came, collective. I saw that movie before I saw like Collective and The Painter and the Thief. Um, and uh, one of the other movie moments that's on here, so it kind of moved down a little bit. But um, the best thing I think about that is that I didn't think that he had any more to give after the long monologue about his his his, history, his, his yeah. dad. Um, I didn't think he had anything left. Also, quadrilogy of speeches. Sorry, yeah, not really. And then he finds another level. this extra this, and it's I think, and you don't want to do it. You really don't want to do it. And I'm not, I'm not telling you your business. I'm just saying, like, from me, and I'm just using, like, a proverbial you. You don't want to stick what is going to happen to Chadwick Boseman on top of that scene. But it is fucking impossible not to. And you can, you can almost... You can see it. I feel like I'm going to cry thinking about it right I mean, now. I don't know, like, if it's just after the fact, but, like, I rewatched it, and, like, he looks... He does look sick. He looks super fucking sick. He looks sick in Twenty One Bridges, though. I didn't know. I didn't see Twenty One Bridges, but um, he just looks. He looks thin, and he looks and he's moving like kind of, mm. you know, uh, like Levy. I mean, but in a movie, a cop movie. Yeah, but like all that carries that weight in that. Like, yeah, just, oh yeah. just the weight of a life that oh, has yeah. barely been lived because it wasn't allowed to. Yeah. No, no, it's it's. Mm. Uh, that's right, because the other one is good. Uh, my number six, I'm sure, is on your list. Um, it is the questionnaire scene from Never Rarely, Sometimes Always. Um, is it? Okay. Um, so, put a pin in that. This movie, I'm going to assume is not on your list, but maybe I'm wrong. Because you did pose a question to me earlier today, and I threw out an answer. And, you know, you said you weren't going to respond. So, now I don't know. I don't know what's going on in your brain. This is from a, a movie called Swallow. Um, it is stars Haley Bennett as a, a woman who's struggling with pica, um, which is a disease that a mental condition which makes you want to eat things that aren't edible. Um, and there is a scene in that movie where um, Hunter, Haley Bennett's character, eats a thumbtack, and it's really long. It's ten minutes long, and it has a bunch of emotional gradations in it where she eats the tack and then she takes it out of her mouth. But there's blood on her tongue, and then she sits and stares at the tack, which is on the thing. And previous to this, she had eaten a marble and pooped it out and washed off the poop and stuff. So she's just staring at this tack, 
and the 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 score, which is pretty good, um, functionally excellent, but like only really pretty good, builds and builds and builds until she gets up and she swallows this motherfucking thumbtack. She and you doesn't just pop it in her mouth and go. She wrestles this thumbtack into her mouth, and this sets off a chain of events where you get to viscerally, very viscerally experience the. Uh, just intense weirdness of of someone who is eating things that you can't eat. To, to spoil it, didn't see it. Okay. Just, just, okay. No, I haven't seen the movie, so. That's, uh, that's, yeah, so that's mine. My number five, you said put a pin in it. Um, and I consider this like a speech. I don't know, it's not really a speech, but it's uh, basically, it's it's a performance piece uh, mm-hmm. that is the questionnaire from yep. uh, Never, Rarely, Sometimes, Always, Sidney Flanagan just doing you know the work of the year um in that like moment we'll talk about her later um briefly uh that's just everything is building to that scene um and just the way she carries that is just impossibly hard like mm-hmm. like before that you know the, the 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 difficulty she confronts trying to get the abortion uh has a gravity to it but that moment is is the thing that sets it all off into to the world of the unfair to the world of of the the unjust mm. yeah my um my feelings about the movie have become kind of muddled um same because i feel like <sighs> i love it still but i feel like there's something too specific about the beginning of the movie and the end of the movie and then there's this moment in the questionnaire scene where i think the point of the movie comes to fruition finally where excuse me We'll edit that out. Uh, where Eliza Hitman, where Eliza Hitman just decides to dump the pain of a whole gender of people, um, whether you believe in in um, her thoughts on abortion or feelings about abortion or anything, uh, uh, she is what's her name? Oh, I, her character is right on the tip of my tongue. Oh my god, I, I can't remember it off the top. But. Um, you get, are you getting it? Yeah, I'm getting it right now. Okay. Ah! It's like in my brain. I just want to. Say, I want to say her name. Fuck, it's like right on the tip of my tongue. Um, um, so I'll just doesn't matter. So Cindy Flanagan's character um, is either answering autumn. or not answering. Autumn. Autumn. Yes, I wanted to say meadow. But in autumn, I guess, is kind of the same thing, but it doesn't matter. Um, she is answering for a whole group of people who have had to answer this question and these questions in that same way. And it's really uh, wrenching in a way that I think most of the rest of the movie is not. But that shit fucking hurts. Yeah. Speaking of shit that hurts, uh, this is a moment that's full of of what I wanted to say were going to be moments for me. Uh, that could have been a movie full of moments. Uh, but I just picked the one. Uh, I, I did pick two moments from another movie. Um, <laughs> but this is from I'm Thinking of Ending Things, and I don't pick the ballet scene. I pick What Does Your Boyfriend Look Like? Hmm. Um, Interesting. Because that hits me. That hit me. Jesse Buckley's just like deconstruction of of the twist, as it were, that she doesn't exist. Mm. You know, the young woman doesn't exist. It's all 
um, a creation of oh yeah doing characters names suck because i just I always just want to say actors names mm. um of jake's kind of like mind yeah and yeah. just how she says like you know she says it's hard to describe and eventually says like he's a creep and whatnot because it's not her speaking it's him speaking right it's the janitor it's jake speaking as an old man but the way she kind of just dwells into like confusion into kind of disgust Fucking Jesse Buckley needs to be in everything from now on. I, but I don't want her in everything. No, I don't, I don't either. It. I don't either. She's going to get into a Marvel movie, and then what are we going to do? Don't say that. <laughs> um, but just just the way that she kind of flows through that doesn't speak with a, a vitriol, a, a hatred, or, or a, a disgust. It's like an it understanding. With an understanding, but a self-loathing. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's more said of self-loathing. A knowing self-loathing. Yeah. Exactly. And that shit's fucking real, man. Like, it's a guy imagining someone... Well, the reason... Telling you to your face how you are terrible. That's the reason. The reason it's on... Like, it's my thing is, like, I feel a lot of that myself a lot of times Uh, when it comes to relationships. Damn it, Mario. This this spoke to me on that. I know. So sad. Um, Don't be depressed. I'll be fine. I'm not not depressed. I just wish you didn't feel like that. My number four is... I'm a therapist. um, Ladies. Portrait of a Lady on Fire, the ending. Mm-hmm. Is that on your list? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, my number three, <laughs> we already talked about, is um, from The Five Bloods, uh, You Will Not Kill Paul. I rewatched this movie. Uh, it is Delroy Lindo. I think especially, I felt a lot of, I had a lot of sympathy for him in this go around. Mm, I think at the time when we watched it, it was summer of, 2020 so the election was kind of like just hovering there and like the distance and it never seemed like it was going to come and it was hard to find within myself a not a sympathy for an empathy for a trump supporter an understanding of why someone might support a donald fu trump um his middle name is fuck you um and it's it's still kind of hard. No, it's with, John because that's the only way you can get women to sleep with them is by being a John. Um, it's still really hard to imagine. It's still really that's good. It's still really hard to kind of get there, but I kind of see it, especially after the Capitol riots. Those people are confused and desperate. That I mean, those are the words you. Those are going to be on Paul's tombstone. You know what I mean? He was, because of his, he was confused and desperate because of the life that he had lived up to that point, set against what he imagined his life was going to be. After the events of Vietnam, after everything that happened, before the events of Vietnam, everything. This movie is so complex. I love the fact that Spike Lee decided to boil that shit down to one guy talking into a fucking camera. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's this huge movie. Maybe Spike Lee's biggest movie. You know what I mean? I mean, maybe... This and Summer of Sam? Maybe. And I was even thinking, like, um, uh, Inside Man. Just from from a kind of production standpoint. I would say Summer of Sam. It's pretty big. I'm sure the budget's big. But Summer of Sam is probably the other. Summer of Sam is like, do the right thing, but just expanded to a whole city no. and minus any of the cleverness. You like Summer of Sam? I do like Summer of Sam, but it's just it's not clever. It's not I, doing. I, I'm not Summer a, of Sam was great until I saw like until Zodiac came out. Like I love right. Summer of Sam. Then Zodiac came out. And I was like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I mean, it's that speech is thrilling. Yeah, absolutely, it is thrilling. 
And it's just a guy walking through the jungle just talking to you. Delroy Lindo gets at least nominated, right? He, he, it's, it's it, gotta would be be a, a it would be an absolute travesty if he doesn't get yeah, nominated. Yeah, that's just everything about that. I'm pretty sure for the Oscars, the actor is set to those five guys. To Bozeman, Hopkins, Riz Ahmed, Gary Oldman, and Delroy Lindo, I think. I no, think there's, Stephen there's, Young is creeping in. I think Stephen Young can knock out uh, Oldman. I think he's going to knock out Oldman. Mario. Bless, bless my heart. Let's hope that that happens. Um, and it's your... Yeah, no, and just, just, to, just to... Yeah, 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 to, sorry, to go. piggyback off that, yo, yeah, and, you know, the, the thing I would say is just, like, the fucking... Lindo's there. I, I haven't written down my winners yet, because, like, I'm still going with gut feelings and, like, reviewing everything. No, that's so... Ah. There's so many, like... Best Actor is such a good year this year. Oh, it's so good. Um, you could go any number of ways and feel okay about I think, it. I think my winner's locked in, but like rewatching that movie. And rewatching that movie with a sense of, like, it's, it's a fun movie to watch now. It's, it's hard to say fun, but it's fun to watch now because, well, I didn't mean to do that. Oh, okay. Um, I'm going to go downstairs after we do our thing and grab other beers. But uh, it's fun to watch now because I watched it as such a pe- like, in such a pessimistic way in yeah. June. And when I rewatched it, I watched it so optimistically, and it works on two different fundamental levels. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, it's just so solid. I'm so sad it, it missed my top ten, mm-hmm. just because like my top tens always goes by personal feelings for yeah, me. It's... Um, but it's uh, it's it's Spike Lee's best movie, I think, hmm. easily. And he has better than movies. do the right thing. Uh, I, I prefer it to do the right huh. thing, I think, just slightly. We just watched both of them. So I think like. I think I prefer it to do the right thing more because it speaks to, like, the modern... It, it speaks more to me being, like, aware of the issues and, and like, I more... Well, it's aware of something very specific. Yeah. So it's, a- it's, it's a specific kind of... Uh, marginalization that Trump supporters... Or it's marginalization expressed in the specific way that Trump supporters express it. Mm. I think, and, and I think for us who have internalized the politics of the last four years much well, too much, that is something. Well, I think I think also like it's as a personal side, like for do the right thing, like in that time I had such like a race blindness because I came from an area where from Nevada where the the black population was non-existent, mm-hmm. so more modern films that deal with race speak more to me mm-hmm. because of the fact that like I have a connection to to mm. that with modernity whereas do the right thing kind of is like in this moment where the the, the you know, moments are still very systemic and and kind of timeless unfortunately of of the things going on but there's there's a little bit more I I don't it, it, it has a bit of antiquity to me. I want to point... That's a really interesting point, and I want to like draw a line from that to this, is that the... They're much more open-minded about racism in The Five Bloods than they are about racism in... Not racism, per se, but like race, than they are in Do the Right Thing. Race has... the Race has a lot of rules in Do the Right Thing, and being black has a lot of rules and do the right thing. It doesn't necessarily in the Five Bloods, and which I, I think is really, I think is really interesting. And I would love to have a conversation with Spike Lee about that because I think that's where Paul comes from: is that the new political ideas transcend stereotypes about what races are obligated to do mm-hmm. based on politically based on their race. 
um, in that like it takes in all these modern millennial ideas about personal history and experience and kind of brings them to bear on what we had perceived to be, you know, pretty foundational politics. You know what I mean? Left and right is, is means two different things and there's no crossover between those. Yeah. It's interesting. Interesting point. I like it. All right. You're next. Uh, I am now my number three. Mm-hmm. Uh, the bonfire scene. Oh, Portrait of Lady on Fire. The bonfire scene. Um, we're good. There's two scenes for this movie on my list. And we've, this is the first one we're talking about. Um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a perfectly crafted scene. I think I texted you a lot of times drunk about this scene on my numerous rewatches of the film. About how there's like a lot of unspoken blocking. Um, in terms of how, uh, you know, Heloise is, is moving and the response to that and just the music and everything and the encapsulation of the moment and all that just, just, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a simmering down of the ideas and the emotive sense. And you're waiting for a moment like that to happen. Mm. You're waiting for this relationship to literally catch fire. Yeah. And then it literally catches. And and like and when I say the bonfire scene, it leads directly. I, I include like the the following parts mm-hmm. of it um, when they have their first kiss, mm-hmm. and and just and I've talked. Have I talked about this on the podcast? No, I think I talked. I no. talked. I we're talking about it, but just just the fact that you know, Sienna had had them with the masks on, which ended up being a humorously kind of. I mean, the masks are terrible masks, but it's funny that they're wearing masks throughout a lot of this movie, and masks ended up being a big thing. But the consent aspect of like the first kiss and all that is just so fucking good. Ah. It's okay. Uh, my number two. I didn't like putting this in here. Um, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Because what, what do you think it is? Well, considering you said my other thing, you were going to talk about it. Yeah, because uh, it's a real thing, but it's edited so perfectly, and the uh, it's from the collective. Um, the way that it kind of starts out with like this isn't a part of the show, and like. You just see a little bit of a spark and then just fucking I you always hear about how fire works and that was the first time I was like what what it was unbelievable <laughs> and then the, it's edited perfectly to kind of like we'll talk about the collective yeah, decent yeah. a bit more um to just kind of like go around the, the different angles and just it, it's not sensationalizing it's not trying to no it it's isn't. not trying to like be like this is kind of awesome it's trying to be like this movie's not about this right but this is an horrific thing that sets it off about what the movie is actually about. Right. And, like, this horrific event could have just ended with this. Right. But it doesn't. It gets worse. And just the fact of just how quickly it happens, it just, like, it's fucking insane. It's, and I hate putting it here because it sucks. It's, it's a horrendous thing to have, like, to, to have on the list. Like, I felt bad about having it on my list, but, like, it's... It's a moment I looked at, like, the fact that it completely changed my perspective of, like, how a real-life thing that you've always been warned works. Like, this this needs to be, like, almost, like, they always show you, like, the here's a demonstration of how a crystal tree fire works and blah, blah, blah. But it's always an empty room. Mm-hmm. Like, this is kind of, like, that thing of, like, where they always say rec room for a dream needs to be shown um, for drug use. Like, this needs to be shown about fire safety. Of just being, like, this is how a fire can work. And the fact that, like, 
It starts out as a little spark, and within a second, the entire fucking roof is on fire. Well, we just have to assume that the second angle, that person, whoever was holding the camera, died. Because they were engulfed in flames. I didn't. Which is fucking horrifying. And it's the but the idea that I mean, it's maybe they got out because like the the footage the footage exists, exists so but it's, it's, assume the camera would have it's been. orange the whole thing is orange yeah it is there's no other things it's just an orange light and it is just horrific yeah that, it says best moments like my thing says best moments it's not a best moment it's a but it's an important it is moment. impactful it's a, beyond it's a super else. fucking important moment and I love the fact that it's a movie and we'll talk about it again like you said I love the fact that it several tra- times it transitions from there to being a movie about policy <clears throat> um, and it's it shows <laughs> you I think, what Tom McCarthy wants to make and I think it shows you I think it shows you is this not like a better spotlight <laughs> I we're gonna talk about it yeah <laughs> it really shows you the kind of I don't know. I think we take policy for granted in America a lot. And I think this is kind of one of those things. How fucking dare you. Yeah. I think that's one of those things that shows you, like, this is how, this is why these things are designed this way. So that when this stuff happens and then it gets to the next level where you think that everything is fine because it's just supposed to be. And then it goes a level beyond that. And then there's a bunch of politicians just being like, well, who's responsible for, or what do we do about this? And everyone's just like, I don't know. We need to have more respect for our policy analysts and pay them a lot more money and give them a lot more credence in society. Yeah. To cancel people. We just need policy analysts to, to make a lot more money. Um, my number two a lot. deals with policy analysis, um, and it is the policy of poetry. Uh, my number two is from I'm Thinking of Ending Things, and it is Jesse Buckley's... Uh, recitation of uh, Ava HD's Bone Dog which is uh, framed as a poem that uh, she made up for a second until you get to uh, Jake's house and she picks up a book by Ava HD and it's got that poem in it Um, but you don't know that at the time and at the time uh, when she starts reciting this poem you don't have a really clear picture of, of where this movie is going and uh, even after she recites it, you don't really have a very clear picture of where this movie is going, but you know what this movie is capable of. And you know what kind of emotion it's trying to deliver and how it's going to deliver it. Mm-hmm. Which is at however it wants, at whatever cost to the viewer, it feels as necessary, uh, and with just an intense sadness and beauty that it's just kind of, it's just tough to take in and you keep thinking the poem is ended and it just keeps going and it's perfect and beautiful and it's got the perfect backdrop and everything is great and uh, Jesse Buckley's mouth is in it the whole time and she keeps thinking it's you keep you don't know if she thinks it's funny and if it's funny is it because it's sad funny or it's funny funny but in the end they're both the same thing and it's just it's just perfect my number one is uh um, I agree with all that, by the way. I, I'm not going to speak too much on it, but like, I, just, I agree with all I that. I kind of want to fast forward no, to I your do. number I do. one. I do. Um, my number one is, uh, I don't know, it comes at sort of towards the end of this movie, So, but I think it operates on some of the, the same things as I'm thinking of my moment from I think of anything is I'm thinking of ending things. This is from Lover's Rock. This is Silly Games when the DJ's 
drop out, and it's just a room full of people singing multiple verses and choruses of this uh, this song, uh, with no accompaniment, a cappella, just the sounds of their feet keeping rhythm, um, and it is euphoric and it is confusing, and it is followed by. Uh, just a, a really fucking intense performance of another song um, that lasts almost longer. Um, Lovers Rock is a really unique film, and it is a is uniquely powerful. And no moment in that film typifies that better than, or explains that, or illustrates that better than than Silly Games. I mean, it's just no. It's, it's been referenced ad nauseum, I think, in the culture this the film culture this year. It's just it's it's another thing. Mm-hmm. In a in a year where Steve McQueen did a ton of other things, like Silly Games seems to kind of hover over all of them. Be like, wait, wait a second, what? What are they doing? Um, but Mario, please, uh, she didn't see me. This is my number one. Uh, I also didn't say the film, but whatever. It's Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Um, I just have the end. I just have ending Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Yeah. It, I call it She Didn't See Me. Um, I have watched this scene, I don't know, 70 times now? 80 times? Um, yeah, the perfect uh, connection with... Uh, with with like the call me by your name ending mm-hmm. too uh mm. i think that this one hits me a little more maybe because i'm more of a valdi guy than a soup john stevens guy um just the raw intensity of it i i can't explain it i need i'll explain it in uh, eventually don't worry about it guys uh, yeah i just keep coming back to it and just I was screaming at myself at the Madison Art Cinema. Like, just turn. Just turn. Mm. Were you actually screaming at yourself? In my head. That would have been awkward for everybody. Turn! Goddammit! Turn! I was watching with a bunch of, like, Yale arts people, so they probably would have fucking loved that. Just some random guy. They were probably saying, like, hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Um, Hmm? But no. It's just... My... uh, The first time I saw that was, was through... A cloud of tears. It is um, kind of nuts, and I'm not sure how she got there, uh, but it seemed like the most earned, one of the most earned emotional, uh, just confrontations with a piece of art that I had seen in in film. Um, and I love. I mean, it. They did. She did. Celine Siama did a lot of work to get back to there mm-hmm. from. The point where it was originally introduced to that moment, um, but and it's not just like gasping for breath during it. It just seems, and you, I, I don't know if you saw it coming. I didn't. I didn't necessarily nope. see it coming. I thought it had fulfilled itself in the moment where it originally, like the Vivaldi's originally introduced. I was like, "That's good. Everything about this is perfect." I didn't. That almost made my list too. Yeah, I didn't. There was four moments from this film that almost made my list. I didn't really see that coming, and then it delivers, and it. But it's one of those great endings that ends. The movie ends, and then it's like, oh no, no, we're not. It's not ended yet. Like you think it 
ends when Marianne sees the painting. Yeah. And then you're just like, that's fine. And, and, and then it's it, just like, oh, yeah, and this other thing. But it, it's great, too, because it's like I saw her two times after that. And, like, when the painting happens, you're like, oh, okay, it's the... Then you're like, wait, she said two times, and then I saw her one more time. Well, you're just almost... You don't... Ex- the painting hits so hard. Yeah. You don't expect the ending, like, that takes you right up to the credits to hit harder. And then the credits are just silence. Like, just right. water. Um, but it's good. I mean, it's... It's... Yeah. I know we're, we're not going to we talk. About, we're not going to talk too much about this movie. I think we're done. Yeah, I mean, I don't have anything more to say about Portugal. It's not on. It's not at any other point in my list. So nope. I think we're good. Nope. Yeah. I think we're okay. fine. Uh, so speaking of moving on to something we will not talk about, Portrait of a Lady on Fire with that's the best supporting actor. Oh, but we got a break. Oh, do we? Okay. Yeah, break. <laughs> All right, so we're keeping an Oscar. Tight here, yeah, a little bit. In that we're gonna, we do have two sand categories. Fuck you, Oscars. They're different. They are different. And like when I was making them, I was like, they're totally different. Like I have different nominations for both of them. Um, But we're gonna do, we're gonna kick it off with a bang, like they like to do at the Oscars. Um, Do you want to go first, or do you want me to go first? How do you want to do? I'll go first. Uh, So I'll say my nominees. You'll say your nominees, and we'll make predictions for each other, and then we'll say the winners. Well, I ranked mine. Do you want me to deliver them out of order? Oh, I always forget you ranked yours. Um, well, then you do yours and then I'll do mine. Okay. Or do you want me to do mine and then you do yours? I don't know. Uh, I always forget you rank them every year. Uh, so my nominees for Best Supporting Actor are Clark Peters from The Five Bloods, Udo Kier from Baccarat, uh, Bill Burr, King of Staten Island. <laughs> he made it. He fucking made it. Uh, Aldous Hodge from One Night in Miami and Paul Ratchie from Sound of Metal. Mm. So I also have Paul Ratchie. Um, oh, sorry. Um, the Cheez-Its are getting to you. The Cheez-Its are putting me over the edge like smoking a cigarette eating these Cheez-Its. <laughs> um, There's bacon. They're smoking. So I went in from five to one. Um, I've got Hugh Laurie from the personal history of David Copperfield. Oh, I didn't end up seeing that. Oh, so it's got on my list a bunch. So Fuck! <laughs> I told you! I, asked I thought you him. said you did it! No, I said I was thinking about it, but I didn't get to it. Oh, well, it's fine. Ah. You're not obligated. Um, Christopher Abbott from Possessor, although he was always also very good in Black Bear, which is not a great movie, Didn't but he's pretty Bear. good in it. Um, Clark Peters from The Five Bloods. Uh, Malachi Kirby from Mangrove. I think just for how he says PC Pulley, he's like forever. Like, PC Pulley. And just he's just here in my brain. Um and then my number one was Paul Ratchie from The Sound of Metal. I think, go, uh, who's your number one? Uh, who's my, wi- my winner? Paul yeah. Ratchie is my number two. Oh, okay. So who do you think my winner is? Bill Burr? No, my winner is Clark Peters from The Five Bloods. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I love, your list is so, like, eccentric. Bill Burr and Udo Kier. <laughs> Udo Kier is really good in Bakura. Bakura. Why Clark Peters? Because I think we have our... They're probably on the list for the same reason. Uh, just Clark. Um, everyone is... The Five Bloods is such like an emotional movie and everyone's such like an archetype, but Clark Peters encapsulates... Has to encapsulate this fully formulated person. Yeah. This person who's dealt with everything. He's the person who you're, you're in as an audience to the film mm-hmm. and he fucking carries the shit out of that. He does. And I feel the same a little bit about, the same way about Paul Ratchie where Ooh. he's got to be the heart Absolutely. of the movie. Like he's... Because... Um, Ruben is so 
unsure, but also like he's just pushing away. He's got to keep drawing him in. And then in doing so, he keeps drawing us in. There's so much empathy and so much depth to him um, that when he finally turns Ruben away, that... This is a yeah, harder, was, that was a much I harder was, scene than it has any right to be. I was unhappy taking that scene off my top ten. Yeah, I, really? Yeah. That's that's a great scene. And, it, like, those are two. I think, what was your, wait, wait your number two was who? My number two was Malachi Kirby. But okay. Clark Peters. Is, yeah, because my number two yeah. is, like, if I was ranking him, my number two would be Paul Ratchie, Aldous Hodge, Udo Kier, Bill Burr. Bill Burr, you made it. You made it as the nominee, but you're still fifth. He might get nominated. You never know. Um, moving on to Best Supporting Actress. My nominees are Charlene White, Small Axe Education, Viola Davis, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. She's not a fucking lead performance. I thought a lot about this, and I agree with you. It's once again a fences situation. Yeah. But in reverse. In reverse, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Sarah Paulson, run. <laughs> Olivia Cook, Sound of Metal. Hmm. And Maria Barkova, a Borat subsequent movie film. Nice. I, uh... Number five to one, Gina Rodriguez from Kajillionaire. Um, Charlene White from Education. Jane Addams from She Dies Tomorrow. She was, she was my Great sixth. Great Jane Addams performance. My sixth. Um, I don't know how you'll feel about this, but I've watched the movie again, and I'm, I have reasons, and I, will, uh, I can back them up as an English major. Um, Adele Hanel from Portrait of a Lady on Fire. And um, Viola Davis is my number one. That's fair. Uh, no, I, I, I see. I, I mean, she's. I'm gonna be honest with you. I thought about cheating for a long time and having um, um, Noemi Merlant and Adele Hanel as just one selection for best lead actress. But then I watched the film again, and it's totally subjective. I mean, it's it is all from um, Marianne's perspective. Yeah. No. Absolutely. So um, I was like, I, I feel pretty good about this. Oh no, I don't. Okay. I mean, just uh, I disagree with how I presented it, but I can see that totally. Uh. My winner? Who do you think? I don't know. I feel like this is a tough one. Because Bill Burr is not on this list, so there's no definite no's. Tom, you look at your number one. Viola Davis? My winner is Viola Davis. Yeah, she's... Black. She's fucking... She's great. excellent. She's, this is my... Uh, well, no, Fences was before Pivotal Film Awards, right? That's when me and you were just doing it, but that's getting she, drunk in wings. She might have won for... She won... She for won... For Widows, she won right? My, did she? She, did, she might have won for My Widows. For Best Actress. Did she win mine for Widows, too? I don't have my she 2018. Did win for, I'm almost positive she won for Widows for I mine. feel like for me, too. This would make her third time winning for me. She's so good. It's ridiculous. I'm almost about ready to retire her from acting. She's like Meryl Streep, but good. But I'm worried that she's not going to win. I don't think she'll win Actress. Because she's in lead. She should have been supporting. But I don't think that's why people aren't going to vote for her. But it doesn't matter. I would love but for no, her. I would love for fucking, her to win this. But. She's fantastic. It's it's a Viola Davis performance that she's never done of of like an antagonist, mm. and she's so fucking good at it. She's just fucking Viola Davis. Just is fucking great. Well, she's like, if I make a movie ever, hopefully someday some psycho person lets me make a movie. Viola Davis is in that movie. It's going to be a slasher movie. <clears throat> Viola Davis is going to be my final girl. Is it Ma too? But with no. Viola Davis instead of Octavia no, she's Spencer. A good, no, Octavia Spencer could be in it too. I also, I kind of feel like in this movie she's like the sun that the whole film revolves Absolutely. around. And she has extra gravity to her. She's not like, it almost is like she doesn't belong in this she's, movie. She's, it's, it's she's intense. God in this movie. Yeah. That's what oh, she yeah. represents to me. She's like an omnipotent God figure. A God who loves Coke. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> I also love Coke, so that's you know that's why I like this movie so much. Uh, moving on now, the best makeup. Uh, we're backing up, guys. We're we're yeah, we're, we're doing the Oscar trick. Um, my three nominees. Did you rank these two? Yeah. Okay. Cool. Uh, my nominees are Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Borat subsequent movie film, and Bill and Ted Face the Music. <laughs> oh man, you did it. Um. I went kind of chalky here. You, I could, went, you could see that happening. Though, I guess me. so. Um, I mean, I know what your winner is. So I, I know what your winner is. <laughs> really? Okay. Is, I'm assuming it's not Bill and Ted. No, you're wrong. I'm kidding. Uh, my, I'm thinking of ending things. Um, specifically just... Uh, this is makeup and hair. Makeup way. and hair. I'm focusing a lot on the hair here. But, I mean, there's also the makeup, too, in the David Thewlis and Tony Collette, who I feel like there's a separate podcast to be done about what the hell that is or what they're even doing like i didn't nominate either of them for supporting actor because i don't even feel like they're real um but the way that old man david thula says fucking fucking is just (laughs) just the best so i'm thinking of ending things i have promising young woman um that number two and then i have uh ma rainey's black bottom at number one what do you think my winner is ma rainey's black bottom it's ma rainey's black bottom (laughs) Uh, I mean, it's just it's 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 far and away, right? Just for sweat effects alone, just the, the sweat that's just constantly pooling on Viola Davis's breasts. The second, also award. the fact when like Viola Davis shows up, and you're like, when's Viola Davis gonna be in this movie? Yeah, <laughs> it's 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 intense. It's intense. They did a good job. Is that a finalist? That has to be a finalist in the Oscars, right? I don't, I don't know. know. I assume so. But that's the just, Oscars are always do fuck fucking yeah, stupid shares. Like yeah, no, it's it's a it's a non non question for me. Borat subsequent movie film, you just gotta put it in there because yeah. Maria Barakova's like their makeup effects are great. Mm-hmm. A villain Ted face the music. You know what? They put a lot of heart into it. That's why I got there. I like how you just threw them a bone. But like, I don't mind it. I think well, so, but I think like the muscle guy effects on it are fun. And like oh, when they're yeah, yeah. but when also like they're the aged out dudes and they're taking it off and whatnot. I yeah. thought that was great. Like the makeup effects are the only really big part. Besides, like, obviously my Samara weaving obsession. We moved on from that. Um, there's no award for that, though. Yeah, there's no <laughs> Samara weaving award. In a movie and, award. And Bill and Ted still would not win. Like, Babysitter 2 would win that one. Oh, right. Um, but, yeah, Ma Rainey's just fucking far and away. I just want to point out something that I, I wanted to point out when we talked about Never Rarely, Sometimes Always, except for the fact that, like, you know, it was on both of our lists, so the conversation got... Never Rarely, Sometimes Always is not coming up again. Promising Young Woman is not coming up again for me either. We kind of spoke off air about how, like, this the nature of this film year for us and how we kind of went into it saying, like, ah, this is just for weird. You, for you, they're not coming up again. For for me, they're not coming up again. <laughs> They'll come up again for me, but... I It's just one of those things where there's just... It, it ended up being a very... And I feel like we talk about this at the beginning of these episodes and we just kind of didn't this year. It was just a really strong year. Yeah, it's a great year. And there's just a lot of movies that kind of for I feel COVID, very strong I feel very strong. It's just about. a really good year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't like I don't dislike Promising Young Woman and I don't dislike Never Really Sometimes Always. I don't think they work as well. I I actually actively enjoy Promising Young Woman a lot. It just when I, we're thinking about stuff in terms of like nominations for things, they just didn't work as well as some other things. Fair enough. Which I, th- I, which I think you're, we're going to run into with your list too, where there's like everything in this movie kind of seems to work really well. So <laughs> that movie, 
<laughs> that movie goes in here. Yeah. Every list starts with this movie. Um, I just wanted to say that. That's fair. Best costume design now. My nominees, Kajillionaire, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, I'm thinking of ending things. Oh, we cross over twice. My, my number three is Lover's Rock. My number two is Kajillionaire. My number one is I'm, uh, I'm thinking of ending things. What do you think my winner is? Portrait of a Lady on Fire. My winner is I'm thinking of ending things. What? what? Yeah, the costume design works perfectly in this film. Well, you, like, she changes like, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. She's in it. Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Great costume design. You know, Emma almost made mine. But, like, Portrait of Lady on Fire is in here for the Emma reason mm-hmm. of the fact, like, it's great costume design. But I'm thinking of ending things. How Every time, if you're doing work, I'm gonna, you're going to be my winner. And I'm thinking of ending things. And Kajillionaire, mm-hmm. um, which was your number two. two. Or they're both doing the work that mm-hmm. needs to be done for the movie. And, uh, like, could you, like, Portrait of Lady on Fire is my three for this because Kajillionaire and I'm Thinking of Ending Things are doing so much It means something. Yeah. Yeah. It's not just nice. It doesn't just look nice. It's, yeah. It means something. All right. What's next? Uh, next up is sound editing. What? What? My nominees are Bad Boys for Life, Sound of Metal, and Tenet. Nice. Um, so I'm going chalk again for me. Lover's Rock, number one. I mean, number three. I'm thinking of ending things, number two. Okay. And then Sound of Metal, number one. My, winner's, my winner is... Sound of Metal. Tenet. Tenet, really? Yeah. I just think Tenet is... For sound? Yeah, for sound editing. editing. Okay. Sound editing. Not sound mixing. Not sound mixing. <laughs> not fucking all. But sound editing, the bullet shots and all. Like, just, just from a actual sound editing, but from a perspective of what an action film needs to do mm-hmm. and whatnot, it, it kind of has to win. Yeah. I guess so. Um, moving on. Sound mixing. My nominees are Sound of Metal. The Vast of Night, and American Utopia. Okay, I got sound. Uh, my number three is, what we haven't talked about yet, but will come up pretty soon, is um, uh, Vitalina Varela. I didn't see it. I was so bummed I didn't see it. So there's, one of the things about this movie is that it uh, is, to- I mean, it's it's hushed tones through most of the movie. But there's, I've heard. there's these sections, there's these moments where... Um, um, I, I'm, it's two Rolling Rocks in, so I can't remember his name. For Pedro Costa, kicks up the sound, like where um, Vitalina Varela goes on her roof to kind of fix uh, on a windy night, and the wind is just howling. Or when she's like digging through the dirt, the sound of the spade going into the dirt is just insanely loud. Um, it's it's these moments of interaction with like the world. Around her, rather than like inside of her own head, um, and it's just—it's really intense. Like to the point where my kids are sleeping, and there's a there's a no. This is a true story. I was watching it at like one o'clock in the morning, and it's just quiet, quiet, quiet. So I have like the volume up so I can hear, and I feel pretty good. And I got the subtitle, you know, subtitles because it's in Portuguese. And then all of a sudden, there's a priest in it who just starts—he screams one line, and. My wife got up and was like, is everything okay? And I was like, oh, I'm sorry. It's the movie. Like, it, it, <laughs> and it's, but it's all for a reason. So it's just really good. Sound of Metal is number two. Um, and then Lover's Rock, man. Like, that almost seems like live sound mixing. Mm. That almost seems like those DJs are doing their thing, like, to the film. Yeah. Yeah. I, 
Yeah, I probably should put Lover's Rock above American Utopia. I had American American Utopia was my number four. American Utopia just just meant more to me personally than mm-hmm. Lover's Rock. Yeah, yeah. Um, my winner, far and away, those sound of metal. Sound of metal. I mean, I didn't have to ask you. I, I assumed you you do. Mm-hmm. Um, sound is everything in this film. Um, it's just you know, in addition to the performances, uh, it's doing it does. It is the um, Atlas carrying the film on its back, and it does so with expertise. Um, this has to win sound this year, right? I, I, I assume, assume it, it will. It I assume to, it will, right? yeah. yeah. It's great. I mean, Paul Ratch is getting no- – it looks like Paul Ratch is going to get nominated. Riz Ahmed is going to get nominated. This, will, this movie will have a bunch of nominations, which will be big. This it'll, will be, it'll get a picture, I think. This will be a whiplash type yeah. thing. You know what I mean? Where, like, it's, you know – Except by a, a talented filmmaker. I'm kidding, Jamie and Chazeel. You're fine. You're fine. I hate Whiplash, but you're fine. I think Whiplash is okay. I am That's cause coming. because you, you were not a drummer. No, that's fair. I don't drum a shit. I play pi- barely play piano. I do. I'm coming to love La La Land. Me too. Yeah. I, First Man still sucks ass. First Man is terrible. But La La Land is, is brilliant. I hate that I find it brilliant now. Mm. It's okay. Visual effects, my friend. This is almost like get, not worth we, doing. We get, Really? You think so? I mean, I don't know. Well, my nominees are Invisible Man, Bad Boys for Life, and Tenet. All right, so I went in a different direction. Um, I Assessor. went. Yeah, so I went. Um, oh, I'm just marking stuff for for editing. Uh, I went Color Out of Space. My I number have three. Seen Color Out of Space. Um, His House, number two, mm-hmm. and then Possessor, number one. Oh shit! I was joking. I didn't. Oh yeah, Possessor was going. I really. I mean, Possessor. We had no crossover. No crossovers. That's what I'm talking about. Possessor. I loved Possessor. I thought it was an empty, ultimately empty experience. Mm -hmm. But when I was watching it, it was awesome. And I felt the same way of Color Out of Space. I just. I just. I. Color Out of Space is so fucking bananas. I literally just took away First Cow's only nomination. Oh, I still have one. It bums me out. It. It just got knocked out of Um, a certain category. We'll talk about it in a minute. I am... Um, yeah, Colorado Space, like, some of the visual effects are bad, and some of them are totally a ripoff of the thing. But some of, like, the the atmospheric stuff and the use of color, um, literally the use of color, is just awesome. It's really mood-setting, and the way yeah. it ends... Like, they saved all their best special effects for the ending, and it's really, really good. Um... Yeah, I don't know what yours would be. Because we have no crossover. Tenet? No, God, no. Invisible Man. Yeah, Um, yeah, yeah. Because the visual effects are are serving something, not the fucking garbage that was Tenet. We don't talk about Tenet anymore. I'm excited. Ripping out Sean Bean's teeth is serving something? No. No, I'm not (laughs) shitting on Possessor. I'm shitting on... That's a makeup thing, too. That's true. That's Um, true. No, Invisible Man, like, it's, it's a film... Where the visual, like, like one of the few films I've seen in recent years where visual effects, I would say First Man to a certain extent, are, are really in service of something. Mm-hmm. Um, and just just the work that is done. Lee Wannell keeps doing impressive work. I love Upgrade. You know, I saw that too late after the fact. Um, but this movie doesn't work without those visual effects. And no, no, no. They work in such a great level. Yeah, it's a great, it's a pretty good movie. Yeah, it's a movie that we don't talk about again, but it's a really good. It's it's the best like 
it's my like Mission Impossible Fallout of mm, the year for mm, me, mm. and it's better than Mission Impossible Fallout. Yeah, maybe I don't know. I didn't see Mission Impossible Fallout. I, I would assume <laughs> it's better. Okay, now we can actually start talking about stuff again. Now that we got through the categories, we don't give a shit about. Uh huh. Now we move on to best original song. Okay, never mind. One yeah, more, I was gonna ca- say, one more category. Uh, so, uh, let, let's hear your three to one. We haven't done this yet. Uh, I'm actually going to defer to you. Damn it! I started all of these. But you should just start this one. Okay. My nominees are Green from The Sound of Metal. I didn't put down the artist. I should have. Uh, I know this is Abraham Martyr. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't know the other people. Well, I know one of the people. Uh, what a Life from Another Round. And La Jeune Fille Fille from Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Well, that's why I was going to. So my number three is the Portrait of a Lady on Fire. When I didn't want to put, I don't want to put it out there before you put it out there. Because yeah. that's the first thing I'm going to say. The next two on my list both come from the same movie. Um, they're both from a uh, 40-year-old version. Didn't see it. Um, so it's on uh, Netflix, Rada Blank's film. The first is This is 40. They're both raps. The first is This is 40. It's, it's, it's this great moment where she kind of decides she wants to rap. Like as an out, she's a playwright and she's writing this play and the play is not going anywhere. And she keeps being asked to make all these concessions, um, like to like uh, white producers and white ideologies as to what like blackness should represent. And so she just kind of goes into this kind of 90s style Wu-Tang-ish rap. And it's really funny and it's really great and really revealing about and she's forty, so she's or she's gonna about to be forty. She's really close to it. And so it's just like what is this older older woman, I'm putting air quotes there, kind of, you know, what's her life like and how does she express that during rap? The other one though, that's that's narratively significant. The other one is in this movie too. It's called White Man with a Black Woman's Butt. And it is about it's my number one. It is about uh, the phenomenon of white men who have a butt like a black woman. And it's fucking, (laughs) it's so fucking funny. But it's just, it's, it's just like weirdly true. And just, and again, more revealing of her character and like what this movie is about. And uh, it's just (laughs) so fucking good. I didn't see this movie because like I was... I really knew about it over the past like week and a half or so, mm-hmm. and I just I want to give it time. It's really good. We're gonna talk. I'm gonna mention it a bunch of more yeah. times. Yeah. So I didn't end up seeing because during my rush of like seeing a bunch of shit, uh-huh. like I felt like it would have got. I wouldn't have appreciated it yeah. enough. So it needs. Um, it definitely benefited from the fact that like. Me I think it wife. needs full attention. Sort well, of me and my wife watched it at nine. Like so, when the kids went to like right when the kids went to bed. And so we were not super sleepy, and we were both watching it and both engaged in it, and then we just talked about it the next day. And it definitely benefited from, like, um, not that it wasn't good in the, at the time, but it got bigger once you were, you know, you were kind of at liberty to speak about it. And I also thought it was a film that I could watch with my friends. Mm. It's, I, mean, I, I figure, like, it's Hal an and Megan movie. Would, would like Yeah, it's, it's amazing. So... Um, but yeah, so those are my two. I'm assuming yours is the Portrait of a Lady in Fire Zone. Why would you assume such a thing? Yeah, uh, La Jeune Fille is, is my winner. We uh, talked about this with the bonfire scene. It is the chorus to the bonfire scene. Um, it is a great piece. It serves the film 
and its need in every point. There are articles upon articles about this song. Do you remember it's talking fucking... about it when we first saw it? Yeah. We were both like, what the hell is this? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even think it was an original piece, and I was just like... You forget about two, and then you rewatch the movie, and you're like, oh, right. Well, it, I think my... One of the things I find fascinating about it is that it sounds so electronic, but also perfect. Yeah. Like, well, it, it's made with electronic artists. Right. But it seems, it see, like, when it's in the context of the movie, you're just like, this seems really artificial, but maybe these women just sing perfect harmonies. Yeah. I'm totally willing to accept that these women sing perfect harmonies. And now that, like, this past year, like, my COVID thing, besides, like, cocktails, has become music stuff. Mm. I finally discovered I like music. <laughs> this has been big for you. Um, like, from a production level, I'm just like, what? That's insane, yeah. It's pretty It's, it's good. It's very good. Um, All right, what's next? Okay. Now we get into the last category of sadness, and this is a really sad fucking category for me because it's usually my favorite, like, one of my top five favorite categories of the year, uh-huh. and this year, or, uh, yeah, of the year, but this year I'm sad about it. It's best original score. Oh, Do you okay. want to do your five to one? Yeah, I'll do mine. Um, so... So it gets mine's weird. weird so mine's weird. It's my, fun. My number five is the personal history. Mine's a little weird too. It's, it starts out with the personal history of David Copperfield, Christopher Willis. Christopher Willis has this track. This is a, rec- good, this is a good movie, isn't it? I really. It's a good. This. It's a good movie. Um, God damn it! I love the. I love this score because it's very obvious. It's the exact score that this movie would have, but it works perfectly in tandem with it. So it almost makes it seem like it's a, one of the great film scores, but you're just. It's just. It's a film score, mm-hmm. but because of the it, it's because of the tone of the movie, the tone of the score is just it just matches it perfectly. It's so fucking good. Um, my number four is where we get a little weird. There's a documentary called Beyond the Visible. Hilma Afklimt. I see this one. She is a uh, a Swedish abstract painter who just recently like her work has been kind of evaluated. And she's like, oh, yeah, she invented abstract painting. Next year, we really, two weeks before we do this, have to share our, like, films watch list just so we can cross it. Well, I thought we had. And you said you watched 20 documentaries, so I just assumed you had watched it. I, I watched, like, the top 20 okay. documentaries of the year. So this has this really insane score, violin score by this guy, Damien Scholl. The reason this movie is, this score is number four is that it takes a very typical documentary about a painter with talking heads and one of the worst and they're Swedish. The subtitles are all in white and they're set against mostly white backgrounds. Brilliant. It's not even like a black border. It is fucking infuriating and you can't change it because it's part of the movie. This film, this score makes it watchable because it gives this kind of depth to the to the art that you're looking at, it's propulsive. It's just it's kind of amazing that what the work that this guy's been able to do. My number three is Wolfwalkers, uh, Bruno Kulis and Kila. I don't know who they are. My number four, uh, two is Michael Levy uh, doing Mangrove, doing her best Johnny Greenwood impersonation, but putting some fucking texture behind some of that stuff. My number one is I'm thinking of anything's Jay Wadley. All that stuff, which I assumed at first was like composition like or was borrowed composition is that guy wrote so the ballet scene the you know the ballet scene at the end is all original composition to this film is it yeah oh 
fuck. So I was just like, I didn't know that either. I just assumed it was, and then I started reading about it. I who was, was like, oh, wait, who's, who's that? Jay Wadley? See you later, you. And so, yeah, and I was like, well, that's got to be number one. Because no, it's, no, what it's am I doing? What just am I doing? the most intense, one of the most intense, important scenes in this movie. And it's all original. It's all original sound. Okay. Well, I'm interested because because <laughs> this is what's a tough year. I didn't want to put the personal history of David Copperfield would normally not make my list. It's very it's competently a, done. Yeah. But it's it's such a weird score year that I've just felt by that you mean bad. Bad. Yeah. Like nothing was really super impressive, and even stuff that seemed like the first five notes of the score for Black Bear are good. And then another instrument comes in, and you're just like, oh, my God, why did you do that? So I will say this. Until you mentioned that that last part was original, um, I had had Alexander Desplat in for Midnight Sky. <laughs> oh, yeah, you said that you were going to do that. So uh, you just got knocked out, motherfucker. Um, you're, you're pretty good. Sorry, Alexander Desplat. Uh, my nominees now are Jay Wadley for I'm Thinking of Ending Things, Anthony Willis for Promising Young Woman, Nicholas Becker and Abraham Martyr for Sound of Metal, Carpenter Brute for Blood Machine, and Trent Reznor and Atticus Finch for Soul. It's Blood Machine, right? It is Anthony Willis for Promising Young Woman. Okay, that's a good one. Uh, it was on I, my long list, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't give a shit about 60% original work or whatnot. Um, his composition of the string quartet of Toxic mm-hmm. by Britney Spears is fucking... Perfect. Sets the tone. Yeah. Uh, and like Carpenter Brute, the Blood Machine score clearly is my favorite of the year. But that movie sucks. And that movie is legitimately just an hour and 30 minute long Carpenter Brute music video. And so unfortunately, <laughs> I really don't classify it. Um, but no, Anthony Willis is doing a lot of work mm-hmm. in this. Um, he carries the moments that he needs to carry. Once again, we talked about... Uh, when Mulligan's face is there, like his scores there, he need he carries those kind of like Hans Zimmer undertones, yeah. extraordinarily well. Well, the only reason it didn't, one of the reasons it didn't make my list is that I thought it was one of those things where I thought the soundtrack was doing like similar work. Yeah, absolutely. You know what I mean? And I, I mean, if I, got a, if I got a best soundtrack of the year, which I used to have in my old awards that matter list, this would. Bar well, forty-year-old version would have won mine, but this would have been probably number two. I still haven't seen forty-year-old version. So but it's but it, I went through the same thing where like I like the score pieces of forty-year-old yeah. version, but the soundtrack is doing most of the Absolutely. most of the work. Yeah. So. All right. What's next? Uh, production design. That's oh, on the other page. My nominees are Possessor. I'm thinking Ooh. of ending things. His house. Portrait of a Lady on Fire. And Rebecca. Ooh, Rebecca. I kind of knew you were going to do this. Mine number five, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Um, good peeling paint. You feel mm, that yeah. shit. You feel that shit. That My, door. You feel that door. You feel that door. You feel all that. I mean, the interior is good stuff. My number four, Personal History of David Copperfield, specifically the scene inside Mr. Dick's study there with all the notes all over everything. Keep mentioning movies I have Jillionaire, number three. Um... The weeping, is, the weeping wall of just kind soap. of yeah, just kind of all that stuff. You know what I mean? Like everything's kind of set, the stage well, is set perfectly. Uh, Lovers Rock number two. Um, it's one of the another one of those. I, I love movies where you can you know the interior of the space, just kind of like from being in it. You're in like, the same number one. 
I'm thinking of ending things. My my winner is I'm thinking of ending things. I mean, <laughs> I'm thinking of ending things as kind of a miracle. No, it, it, it's just I know it's not your. It doesn't matter. I think you know of, where it is on my list. I, I, right, exactly. <laughs> it, in another year, it, it is where it needs to be. And I think one of the reasons is because of the you feel you feel like you are in inhabiting every single space in this movie, and you don't even know what space the space is. In forty five seconds of showing a bookshelf you see every point of this film yep and it doesn't even feel ham-fisted no it doesn't even feel because you don't it doesn't focus on any it doesn't focus on any of it no it feels totally earned it's perfect it's beautiful it's just weird i mean in terms of like pure absolute control of a film like yeah no it's it's an amazing thing and just everything works his fucking somehow jake's delivery of the nobel Prize is better than Beautiful Mind. Yeah. It is. It's, it's better. Way better. Because the bad makeup is on purpose and means something. It's yeah. not just terrible Jennifer Connelly. Also, makeup. if you haven't think if you haven't seen I'm Thinking of Ending Things, don't yet. Read Ant Kind and then see I'm Thinking of Ending Things. I almost feel like I think you have to read Ant Kind before. If you that. haven't seen I'm Thinking of Ending Things, and you are not inclined to watch I'm Thinking of Ending Things, don't worry about it. Oh, no, for sure. Just move on with your but life. But if you're a big Charlie Kaufman fan, and suddenly you've come off a mountain for some reason, mm. and you're really excited to see it, hold off. I agree. Read Ant Kind, and then see I'm Thinking mm. of Ending Things. Get halfway through Ant Kind. Yeah. At least halfway through Ant Kind. Yeah. All right, what's next? Uh, we're moving to the foreign language film. Oh, yeah. This is a bummer of a film list for me, because it's great movies. With the most obvious of winners. Um, my nominees are... Do you want me to do it? I can go first. No, I, no, I, I got it. Another Round. Yep. His House. Mm-hmm. Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Mm-hmm. Collective. Mm-hmm. And Bakara. Okay. Bakara. So I got Another Bakura, Round at number five. I got Collective at number four. I got The Wolf House. Did you end up watching The Wolf House? Mario, I told you about the Wolf House like weeks ago. I know, but I just the Wolf an- House animated films, man, are just not my thing. Stop motion Chilean films are your thing. They're everybody's <laughs> thing. The Wolf House, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, number two, Vitalina Varela at number one. Fuck. Vitalina Varela is so. Remember how you talked about when we talked about? Oh, so this is the future. Next week we're going to talk about Edson Oda, and you're going to be like, oh, we should. Let's do it at Snowden and we'll watch all his shorts because he's this is his, nine days is his debut feature and he's just made a bunch of shorts. We'll do all watch of his shorts. I Vitalina Varela was kicking my ass, and at some point I looked on Criterion and I was just like, What, where, like, because that's where I watched it. I, you know, free trialed myself. Um, I was like, What else is there? He's got all those other movies. I just deep dived Pedro Costa, and apparently he's a th- He's a thing. Like in world cinema, like a new Pedro Costa movie is a big fucking deal. And I had no idea who he was until Adam Naiman was like, oh yeah, Vitalina Varela is like the best movie ever. I looked at IndieWire's top like 50 movie, like top 50 reviewed movies of the year per critics. Uh And like, I was like, The Nest, blah, 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 passing through, blah, blah, blah. Oh, The Nest. And I saw Vitalina Varela, and I paused there and I was like, I should watch this. And then I didn't. But 
I feel I feel bad about it. But doing the list is not the reason to watch it. You're going to watch it, and you're going to be like, that's awesome. Yeah. And then they're going to watch a bunch more stuff, and then you know the what? next time we if do I the watch list... It, if I watch it, and it fucking blows my mind, I don't care. It'll be my 2021 film. We'll talk about it. Yeah. Whatever. Uh, my winner is Portrait of a Lady on Fire. We can move on. <laughs> I mean, it's a great foreign language year. It is a great foreign language year. And I feel like we didn't... I didn't... It's funny because you were talking. I'm going to say this: three of these films are in my top ten. I two of them are in my top ten. Three of these are in my top ten. One's my number eleven. There you go. And the other one is my number thirteen. There you go. So all five of my foreign language films are in my top fifteen films of the year. Yeah, me too. I mean, not me too. America, get your fucking ass in gear because you're getting like your shit kicked in right now. And I'm not saying this is like I'm being woke, but like, well, I'm going to say. Getting their ass kicked. I'm gonna say American studio movies, you're gone. Like it's got nothing to do with theaters. You stink. No, you're making shit. How about that? How about that? Like the traditional studios are making garbage. Yeah, traditional big studio films. I have, I have zero on my list. I mean, I I guess maybe I, I have. What could be considered maybe three on my list of traditional studio films in my top ten? I have one. And I consider Netflix a traditional studio. Oh, well, then I have a a few. Okay, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But it's kind of not, because nobody cares. It's not, but I do consider that. Um, um, Documentary. One of my favorite categories of the year, always. Before I start, I have a a really quick dishonorable mentions to say. (laughs) Um, totally under control in Boys State. You kind of suck. I can't. I don't know how anyone could watch Totally Under Control. It's how did you do it? Terrible. I I stopped. I mean, I got through an hour and then I tuned out. I mean, it's it's just so real. And now it's like, well, I. It's real now, but also like real now and very fucking obvious. Right. For anybody that's gonna watch Totally Under Control. You already know everything that they're saying. You're just like, yeah, of course. Hey, guess what for Totally Under Control? Just look at your... Make a documentary about your own life. Yeah. Here's my Twitter feed. Who gives Although a my, shit? Who gives my a shit own how Twitter this happened? Feed, my own Twitter feed is a lot more like Kimmy Granger and Riley Reed, so it's a lot more entertaining. <laughs> um, Boys State, though, is... I don't know. Everyone loves it. I think it's. I think it's I good... A, I think it's good structurally. I think it was... And it's good from like a narrative standpoint... But it does not feel real. I think it's yeah, it's super fake. And one of the things, like I, t- I remember, did, I talked about this. I, I talked about this today when I was rewatching because I watched Boy State like a month ago. Yeah, um, I did Boy State. It's nothing fucking like what mm. happened. It's much more boring. No, no, and and like we we had this conversation about bloody nose, empty pockets. Which yes, I that's what I was just going to reference. Yeah, I yeah. ultimately disqualified from documentary. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, just because I don't know what is or what not documentary. If it if it qualified, it I, it would just miss. I think for me, but um, that feels more real, and that's like blurring the line. Like they like the creators of that movie clearly said, like, yeah, this is fake. But the scenarios are real. That feels more real than Boy State. Boy State is tough. Um, Boy State seems like propaganda. And I don't oh, know. What, I do. Love, I don't know what for. I do love Renee in Boy State. I think everyone um, loves Renee, yeah. but like, but because they make you love Renee, but yeah. But that's the whole thing. So it doesn't matter. You know, uh, those are those. Boy State, I think, would be on most 
normal people's list. Boys Eight might win the Oscar for all we know. But I don't think so. I hope not. I think I think I think there's a clear runaway in that category. Ooh, ooh is it on our list? I mean, it's on my list. Mario, but not, is it on not, our list? It's not my winner, but okay. it's on my list. My nominees are. I want to see your face when I say these. Crip Camp. Mm-hmm. Dick Johnson is dead. Mm-hmm. City Hall. Oh. Uh, Collective. Mm-hmm. Painter and the Thief. Mm-hmm. Thief. We are. We are. Mario, this is great. We're overlapped except for my number five. Well, I, I assume. I assume my. But the only overlap is the movie you didn't see. I assume. You didn't see City Hall. Yeah, that's the only yeah. like, non-overlap, right? I didn't see it, but my number five is City Hall. <laughs> no, my number five is Spaceship Earth. I heard really good things about it. It's Spaceship fucking Earth. bonkers. It's a regular documentary. Yeah. Like, Crip Camp is a regular documentary, too. Spaceship Earth is a regular documentary. But Spaceship Earth is really fun and insane. Those people are fucking nuts. Um, those Biodome 2 people are just. They thought they were doing something how many, special. How many like documentaries did you end up seeing this year? I was really proud of my like twenty documentaries. I feel like I saw like eleven. Yeah. I made a list and it was eleven. Like there were some good documentaries that didn't make my list that were just like normal documentaries. Mm-hmm. Like John Lewis Good Trouble is a good documentary. It's just kind of a normal documentary. All in I liked was a normal documentary. Well, none of the ones that we talked about earlier made my list. Yeah, same. Like, I am Greta was like my number six. But it was kind of... But, like, as a film, they're kind of, like, passe. Yeah. But I think, like, has, like, a contemporary, like, importance piece, they're, they're great. Yeah. And, and, and they're doing the work. They're kind of, like, I think... I, I don't know. It feels like this year is a good turning point where people maybe are starting to finally pay attention heavily to documentaries because they had nothing else to pay attention, like, to watch. Well, they always watched a lot of documentaries. But I think maybe people are trying to find good ones. Like, they're yeah. not just watching Tiger King and being like, documentary good yeah. or the vow or like one of those other things um i don't know if you, i watched a bunch i even i watched one that i was gonna put on my this list but is it clearly what did a 2021 you, I, movie. what did you end up thinking of like all in in the overall it's fine okay i mean i guess do we think different of it because we did that documentary before georgia yeah <laughs> georgia I, went I, blue i, I fucking i fucking does so that change I, want, your... I wanted to push all in in here, right? For because of that reason. But I think it's... I like wanted to force all in in, and instead, like if I have to fly down to Georgia in a year, mm-hmm. I'll do that. But I think it, burning down the house, I think, is the same thing for me. Where like you're just preaching to the choir to me, and well, but I mean, all, you're not guess, burning down the house. But but I guess all in. This is like a special mention award because it's just it's not a great documentary, but it's just a great person. Is the fact that like watching all in. And all the stuff that's ended up happening has made like burning down the house is like yeah great it's a person Bring, the, bringing down the house bringing down or burning bringing down the what house is yeah, it, yeah. Um, which is a stupid pun just call it burning down the house and move on but all in and the person it encapsulates in Stacey Abrams makes me go like I want to like fucking do whatever I can to make this person the person well I think all in is a perfect civics lesson for schools yeah. like because it's it describes better than any like teacher could like how voting works and why voting is important and how it's not just 
you're not just voting. There's all these other things attached to it besides just like walking up to a ballot box and saying, I vote for this person. If I was going to give like the, was it Irving Felsberg Award for the yeah, Oscars yeah, or whatever, yeah. I'd give it to Stacey Abrams this year. It's not even a movie related. I'd give no. Tan- tangentially related because she had a documentary, but I'd just give it to Stacey Abrams. I mean, I'd give Stacey Abrams a Nobel Peace Prize, but I know that she's a black American woman, so they're not going to do that. No, but I'd give it to her. I would give it to her too, but we're not Swedish. Because she might save the world. Mm-hmm. She may have. Um, Space God, I love Stacey Abrams. Me too, man. Um, <sighs> Crip Camp. The painter is, four? In, is my four. The painter and the thief, my number three. Um, Collective, my number two. My number one is Dick Johnson is dead, which is just a bonkers, broken-hearted, horrible film that is just. <laughs> the greatest made by a fucking master Kirsten Johnson made a movie that camera person was almost on my top 20 of the the, the century so far it was like right on the outside um, I opted for uh, stories we tell instead um, but Dick Johnson's dead is like harrowing and heartbreaking I mean I'm in is it I didn't want you to watch it yeah, um, <laughs> Dick Johnson and De- Dead is great. Um, my winner, City Hall. Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. Go. Um, City. Do, I don't see it. We haven't talked about it yet. So City go. Hall is just a no. Dick Johnson. My top. Every single one of these documentaries are fucking top twenty films. Yeah, for it's, sure. it's a it's it's a great year for documentaries. Um, we'll talk. I'm not going to talk too much about City Hall, actually. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it's, it's a great documentary, but, uh, no, I want to talk about Dick Johnson is dead. Um, it's hard. It's fucking hard for me to watch. Um, I had a bad year with my parents, mm-hmm. a really tough year. And to see that sort of relationship played out was even harder. And to have like my own, uh, it's, it, it, it's have my own fears of like, uh, memory loss and dementia played out. I, I originally, my career and right. old ambitions were Alzheimer's time. research. Um, and now my job is policy analysis. Pay us more um, in people who are entering long-term care facilities. Uh, so it it knows how to push all my buttons, but it does so in such a um, emotionally tender way. That's brilliant. It's c- cinematically um, the the most impressive. Uh, from a cinematography standpoint, the yeah. most impressive. From an editing standpoint, oh, very close. Um, it's it's it's. This is the best year of documentaries since we've done mm. this this list. I, I agree. Um, as much as I love, like, won't you be my neighbor and free solo? Um, just an incredible year. Um, it's a hard watch though, because like you're you're looking at that, looking at him denigrate the the. When he's doing the, uh, I assume it's, a, he's not doing the mini mental status exam. He's doing some other memory test. But when he's doing the, um, you know, the face red church thing, like the moments where you just see Dick Johnson as a person are heartbreaking. But then it leads into the uh, incredible moment of, and I, I'd love to do another documentary special, yeah. you know, um, when he sees his own funeral and just his best friend just breaking down. But then it leads to that moment where it just is like Dick Johnson, like 1932, the question mark. And you're just like, to end that movie on such like this weird sort of hopeful note, because like when you last see him, he's 
the personality is still there. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's such like a tough topic. She deals with it so delicately. Well, because there's there's this massive deception in the movie, which is that it's a movie about Dick Johnson. Mm. But in reality, and I think it's it's mirror it's got to mirror the experience of people going through this with their parents. Reality is about the moment that they realize that their parents are gone. Yeah, and and and, 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 and a so movie, it's about a movie, her. A movie I I didn't see this year that I really wanted to see. Uh, in terms of horror, that really apparently encapsulated incredibly well as Relic, Relic yeah. and I didn't end up seeing it. Yeah. But I heard that's just like fantastic in this too. Mm-hmm. But no, watch this. I was just like, and the tough part of this is, I'm not gonna actually mention and say what the tough part of this was for me. Yeah, um, was an emotional distance that I felt mm-hmm. with it for half of it, <laughs> uh, from at least a, a paternal standpoint. Um, that was tough to kind of like reconcile with, but I think that's what a good documentary is supposed to do, right? Yeah, it's for a sure. Good documentary was a kind of, but make personally, it, some... it feels like shit. <laughs> sure, but yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, the beauty of Mario is that you're still just like, well, that's a good movie. Yeah, like it's doing it's doing its job. I'm not it feels happy like, about I it. I feel like garbage, but it's doing its job. And I mean, I'll I just drink some more bourbon, I guess. That's why, that's why you have bourbon. I'm sure the guy that invented bourbon was going through something similar. Like, well, my state of my parents is terrible. I wish I had something to come. I wish wish corn would turn into brain happiness. (laughs) I wish we titled these episodes. I wish corn would turn into brain happiness. Um, No. um, I'm going to look forward to the moment in the movie, or in this episode where we talk about City Hall, because I want to hear about it. Yeah. We'll talk about... Like I said, we're talking about two documentaries on my list. Good. So. Good, good. All right, what's next? Cinema fucking-tography, my friend. Oh, Jesus. My nominees are Claire Mathen. Uh, and I'm going to fucking slaughter names here because this is a, a year of four nominees being people whose names I hadn't heard of until basically today. Mm-hmm. Claire Mathen, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shabir Kirchen, Kirchner, Lover's Rock, mm-hmm. Small Axe. Mm-hmm. Joe Williams, His House. Uh, Lucas is all. I'm thinking of ending. I want to say it's just Lucas. I think it's just. Don't you? Yeah, I think it is too. And Matthew Lebatique prom. Oh, nice. Um, Thanks, you popping up here. You did it. Also, Uh, prom. Congratulations on getting nominated for a fucking. Is he in jail yet? You haven't updated me in a while. I don't think he's gone to jail yet. I think the trial hasn't even happened yet. My number five is Portrait of Lady on Fire, Clamathon. Um. Again, you know what's weird is that you keep talking about this movie. Like you've watched it so many times. I've only watched it the couple of times. Mm-hmm. It does not work as well on this te- on my television. Mm. I hate it on my television, and it I think it doesn't work as well for me either. But I remember it. Well, that, I think that's the reason that it makes me so angry. Is that like I was like everything's so lush on like a on a on a movie screen. What's your what like? I also wonder, like, as I get a better TV, if it's going to get better. Um, I have a Samsung. It's like, well, like 32 inches. Well, no, but, like, as my, like, resolution gets better. Oh, it's... I, I have a 1080p TV. Yeah, like, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm upgrading the 4K. I don't have a 4K I'm getting TV. a Series X tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Need a 4K. It's the best two days of Mario's life. They're very excited. Um, yeah, I don't have a 4K, so I watch everything in... And it's just shot in 8K. Yeah. 
So it's it is um it seems like it's lacking something. But, the, but I get it. I mean, because I saw it in theaters. I mean, Marianne's in the ocean. Though, listen, so we're blue. gonna we're gonna talk about this a lot later. Yeah. About like the experience of watching this. So, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, number, number, number blah, blah, uh, my number five. Uh, Eric Bronco, the forty-year-old version, Jeez. number four. Okay. Watch this this weekend. I think uh, I can convince people to watch this. Though. It's on Netflix. I'm thinking of ending things. Lucas Zoll, number three. Lovers Rock, number two. Shabir Kirchner. My number one is uh, Leonardo uh, Simoa from Vitalina Varela. God damn it! I knew it was going to be Vitalina Varela. Well, it's just a, it's. Uh, I don't even understand how it works. No, what I'm really happy about is is I have a movie on my list. I think you would really appreciate, and I'm pretty sure that movie's going to show up on your list or maybe really close. You're, you've been talking about it. I feel as though I appreciate the fact that there's like a for the first time ever, there's a movie you've seen that I would really appreciate. I'm pretty sure, and there's a movie I've seen that you would really appreciate. Okay. So, what's your number one? Guess. <laughs> just fucking just take a, just take a I'm shot in the goddamn nose. Oh, that would be my number two. Okay, so Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Yeah, uh, Claire Mathon, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, shooting in native 8K. Uh, when Marianne the second my introduction to this movie was excitement um, well, I, I had been stoked for this movie forever and when Marianne's introducing things and says um, when her student says like what's that and she says like oh it's a where you know like when she asks like where'd you get the painting from and they ask about it you know it's kind of like leading into this like kind of typical film but then when she jumps in the water when she jumps in the fucking water, mm-hmm. and those blues are so fucking blue. Yep. So, I I can't even describe like my experience seeing the blue of the ocean in that shot. It's funny because my experience was the same thing, where I was like, "Oh, she's ripping off Claire Denis here," and then as soon as she did that, I was like, "Nice, you did it." You you are doing your own thing. Pretty yeah. good. Pretty good. Like as soon as, when she's on the boat there, I'm just like, you are just ripping off Beautreveil. And I can't... I'm so in tune with that movie now. Like, it's like a part of my... Yeah. <laughs> it's like a part of my existence. I'm like, you are fucking stealing. You are stealing. And then as soon as she jumps off and, like, starts walking onto the... I was like, you did it. Pretty good. Pretty good. Like, yeah. I was... It's like this admiration, like impressed feeling, and I and as the movie wears on, he's like, "Well, I, you stop feeling that, and you're just like, you know what you're doing, like, but you're fine." But at the same point, like it it harkens to different things for me. Um, anytime you see Heloise kind of shadowed has the specter, I look at like Laurence Olivier's Hamlet, mm. um, or or you know like Withering Heights, like movies from my list. Mm-hmm. I don't know why Portrait of a Lady on Fire would be a movie on my list. I have so much work to do, Mario. <laughs> you son of a bitch. Um, no, it's just, it's just, just everything about this just has a tactile feeling for me. It digs its claws into me. Yeah. Um, it's hard to talk about Portrait of a Lady on Fire knowing that I'm going to keep talking about it. Yeah, what's next? I was uh, gonna say, film, I almost feel like this is why we're marching along here. Because... Film editing. Oh, nice. My nominees are Robert Friesen, 
for um, Thinking of Ending Things. Mm -hmm. Steve McQueen. Hey, I've never nominated him before for anything. And Chris Dickens for Lover's Rock. Uh, Frederick Toraville for Promising Young Woman. Julian Lachere for Portrait of a Lady on Fire. And Dana Boonshek Boon, for Collective. Nice. Um, I did... We have a little bit of overlap. I've, um, I started with a, a kind of anti-editing um, for my number five, which is the same two guys, and it is Steve McQueen's Red, White, and Blue. Mm-hmm. Um, those long John Boyega thinking shots are like are perfect. They're perfectly long. They're too long, but they also work. They cut away from them at like the exact right time. You know, what I mean, it's just. I mean, it's so great. Um, to Five Bloods, I don't have. I don't know who edited The Five Bloods. Um, that's my number four. American Utopia mm. is my number three. Lovers Rock, so it's my second Steve McQueen in editing here, um, is my number two. And then I'm thinking of ending things. Robert Frazier is my number one. Nice. I'm thinking of ending things. Uh, it's my number two. <gasps> Dana Bushik for Collective is my number one. Mm. That movie is fucking... for That is the most perfectly edited documentary in... I think I've ever seen. It's, it is it is the most narratively strong documentary, and you it's know, suspicious. So if City it wasn't Hall, so so, exact. so if if I'm being honest, Collective probably should be my documentary, but City Hall just speaks to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's so exact and so narrative, and it's not manipulative at all. It's just presenting scenes as they are. Yep. Um, and you know, the Collective Fire is probably the best edited scene. One of the best, that has to be a hallmark of one of the best edited scenes in film history. Mm. Um, but I would say that. Like, that, not film history, modern film history. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's say that. Just because there's a lot or of, of the, that You could just even say of the century or yeah, something. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's just, it's, it's so, it has such a tactile feel to it. And that movie has such a narrative feel without ever feeling really manipulative. There's mm-hmm. a couple times where, like, they're watching stuff in the television where I'm wondering if, like, they took a clip and like superimposed it onto a TV screen, but like that's fine because everything else is so expertly put in the moments and paced out. And it's just that the editing of that film makes it. Yeah. Yeah. Collective is really good. Hmm. Best actor. Best actor. We're not going to huh? do the best actor before a screenplay. Uh, that's how I had to listen. All right. You accepted it. All right. You accepted it. All right. All right, go ahead. My nominees. Or do you want me to go? It's up to you. Nah, I'll go first. My right. nominees are Delroy Lindo, The Five Bloods. Yep. Chadwick Boseman, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Mm-hmm. Riz Ahmed, Sound of Metal. Mm-hmm. Sean Parks, Mangrove. Mm-hmm. John Boyega, Red, White, and Blue. Yeah. Do we have a five on five Total on Total crossover. <laughs> John Boyega, Red, White, and Blue is my number five. Riz Ahmed, Sound of Metal is my number four. Here's where we get a little weird. Chadwick Boseman is my number three. Okay. Sean Parks is my number two. He is a fucking hypnotist, man. Delroy Lindo is my number one. There is n- there is almost nothing in the acting canon that is like this performance, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, it's 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 magnetic and repulsive simultaneously. It's it is totally thrilling. Who do you think will win the 
to Orlando. I cheated. I, I'm doing it. I have a tie. You have a tie? Delray Lindo and, and Chadwick Boseman both win. I have to do it. They're both electric performances this year. I, 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 I sat on that for so long going like, who's better? And I'm like, I keep going back and forth. And like, I think, I think Chadwick Boseman has those better moments of highs. Like when he's really on, he, he hit. Mm-hmm. Um, but Delroy Lindo, but there's sometimes where he kind of like fade in. And Delroy Lindo's fucking constantly on. And Delroy Lindo like also hits those highs. And both of them are just fucking magnetic. Both of, both of those movies fail without them, I think. Um, oh, yeah. And I, I hate, I hate, I hate doing the tie, but. I don't think I've done the tie before, right? Mm-mm. I'm allowed to tie every like sure. five, one tie every three years. Sure, because I, I mean, do one next year. My only, the reason I kind of put Chadwick Boseman's performance. Wait, who's your, who's your number two again? Your number two, Sean, is Sean Parks. Parks. Sean Parks, yeah. So Sean Parks is my th- four. There's a weight on. Sean... Meade is my my three. Yeah, there's a weight on Sean Parks, which is real, Absolutely. which feels real, and um, especially after the fall, especially after Trail to Chicago Seven. Right, but even like, it's it's so unique. I think th- this is maybe it's Steve McQueen's genius is that he gave this guy this this perfectly unique experience to kind of live through. One that's not going to be mirrored in any of the other films that he made, and one that's not mirrored in any of the other films that like we're talking about. Like he is literally like they tell him in the movie, you are representative of this whole group of people. And that's usually something that they avoid saying or at least um, expressing in film. You know what I mean? Like, you are... This is you. You are what you... Are what we are. Like, and you are... We're... I'm establishing you in the film as the metaphor for everything that's happening here. And I think he wears it so... he, He just lets that shit hang on him and it just gets worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. Until the end, you kind of he kind of learns to kind of live with it on his shoulders, but he knows that it's there. And I feel like Chadwick Boseman's performance, if I have to separate them at all, is more ephemeral, where it's it exists in this moment, which I guess would be real in terms of a play, where yeah. every single every single night, this all of his speeches would be unique to that night, and and Sean Park seems. Like lived it. This is this is my thing. I would say Riza Mead and Sean Park's performances feel like demanded of them every night of the week. They can deliver it. Uh, the reason why like Lindo and Bozeman's performances are my number one is because they left everything on the fucking field. sure. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I looked at that those two performances just like tearing themselves the fuck apart. Mm-hmm. Like, and those are such raw performances and it's weird because had we included another movie i have a clear winner and it's 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 a bummer but like it's 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 a bummer but it's also really exciting for like the next year can i just speak on that point that exact point is that the guy you're speaking about says the same things that delroy lindo is saying in the five bloods without saying anything yeah that's why. Yeah. I'm a, I'm 100% on board with you. And you know why I love my list? And I, I don't really want this to sound like virtue signaling. Although really I, quickly, though. Yeah, yeah. Are you unhappy with the tie? No. 
Okay, you're okay with I told tie. you I almost... Che- I was one step away from cheating on another category. But you're okay with having a tie? Yeah. I, I felt bad about a tie, but I was like, I can't. Why would you feel bad? I don't know. I just... I, just, I want to make sure we're on the same page. I'm sure this year will be a tie in the actual Oscars where they'll be like, oh yeah, we... Chadwick Boseman can't just have this on his own. We well, also I'd have to give it to Anthony Hopkins. I'd, oh, well, if they give it to both Delroy Lindo and Chadwick Boseman, though, I will fucking come. I will <laughs> post a picture of my semen on Twitter. I will I, do I mean, that. I will not do that. No, they won't. But I will just, like, I will post... You know why they won't be... Twitter followers, they, post something legal, and I'll do it. They might do that on if this award ceremony was going to be in person. Because then... It's in person they're, they're, they're actually gonna go they through with said it it's going in person no well, matter what that sucks but i'm just imagining a normal They'll year where vaccinated delroy lindo gets up and says just some amazing thing about chadwick boseman you know what i mean where he just just delivers that same quality of speech about I'm, his about this his co-star and whatever i'm gonna be honest the reason i almost excluded delroy lindo is because excluded him excluded him in the sense of like Pick Chadwick Boseman and not him. Oh, okay. Was the fact that I think this is opening the door for Delroy Lindo. I think we're going to see a lot more Delroy Lindo so. over the next like ten years. I hope. I mean, so my which del- is good because like I've been singing Delroy Lindo's praises for a while. My like, Delroy I, Lindo experience has been relegated to arrow thing. this movie and then stop eating my sesame cake from Congo oh. when he yells at Laura Linney for or Laura Linney. He yells at somebody with Laura Linney from eating his sesame cake. See, my... Congo. No, seriously, my thing with Delroy Lindo... I mean, I knew him from a lot of stuff, but, like, that was... Those are the marks, is this whole movie and then a, a very small supporting role in No, in as a little Congo. kid, as a little kid, I, when Delroy Lindo was in Broken Arrow, like, I felt was like, who's this guy? Oh, it's Like, because, awesome. like, I didn't give a shit about Christian... Like, when he was on the screen, I was like... That was my first like real experience with Delroy Lindo. I was like, "Who's this guy?" Mm-hmm. And then when he dies, I'm like, "Why?" As a little, I was just like, as a kid, I was like, "Why is he dead? Why is he?" Ne-? Like I was just like, I remember watching that movie as a kid, going like, "I want Christian Slater to die, and I want this guy to be the hero." Because he would do be a better match against Howie Long. That would could you, imagine though, like a modern day Broken Arrow where Christian Slater's character dies, Delroy Lindo's character takes over mm-hmm. and fights fucking Judge. Awesome. John Woo's probably like fucking Damn it. coming Damn it. right now. Moving on to Best Actress. Oh, I'm excited for this one. Uh, Adele Hanal, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Mm-hmm. I fully agree with your premise that she could be a supporting actress as well. But I, she could also be a lead. It's, it's from an, an Oscar standpoint, there's precedent. And we're just using Oscars as our, our template here. There's total yeah, precedent yeah. for... As we talked about with Viola Davis, with Fences, or with Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Much more so with... With, with something yeah. shitty like Anthony Hopkins winning Best Actor for a or, movie he's only in 24 minutes of or whatever yeah. it is. I might even be less than that. Um, there's precedent for that level of stuff. Yeah. Uh, no, me, no be Laurent. Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Jesse Buckley. I'm thinking of ending things. Sidney Flanagan. Never, rarely, sometimes, always, and Carrie Mulligan, promising young woman. All right, so we actually have um, only one overlap, which is cool. Um, <laughs> I, I, I wonder what that is. Rada Blank for the forty-year-old version, my number five. 
Haley Bennett for Swallow. Swallow is fucking cool and awesome and kind of replaced Carrie Mulligan and, you know, as that. I actually think it's also in a lot of ways an abortion movie. And I think it's like the most successful one of those movies that got released this year. Uh, Evan Rachel Wood in Kajillionaire. Um, Nicole um, Bahari for Miss Juneteenth. I didn't see Miss Juneteenth. And I, I think I think at the same time, you don't need to make a prediction on mine. We can say our number ones together. Jesse Buckley. Jesse Buckley, I'm thinking many things. There, uh, there's nothing like this. No. She's not even real. And she's the most real thing in the movie. And reading that novel, you she has to be the most real thing, and she made it more real than that novel yep. like, ever did. Mm-hmm. Did you read? You never end up reading the novel. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you did. Okay. Yeah. Um, she's fucking a force. Like when I started this year, I I was like, well, I wonder what my best actress is going to be. Which what am I going to pick from these two? Yeah. Um, and then she came along, and I was like, well, never mind. Yeah, this it's is done. Finished. Um, it's 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 a tour de force performance. It is bums me out that she's not going to get nominated for an Oscar for this. Um, did she, I don't even think she got nominated for an Independent Spirit Award. I don't think so. uh, I don't think that would qual- I don't think it qualifies, right? Because it's a Netflix movie. Yeah, I think it has too big of a budget. Hmm. It has to be under twenty million dollars, and I think that's a thirty million dollar budget. So it's probably twenty one point nine nine. Yeah, million dollars. Um, Wait, yeah, she's she's totally who's incra- fucking, absolutely who's, incredible. Who's the best actress? Like, actually, they now? actually have oh for this Carrie Mulligan. Like, which I'm fine. Carrie Mulligan's my number two. Actually, Carrie Mulligan is my number two. I actually I'm I'm pro Carrie Mulligan winning an Oscar. No, I had I'm her I had her winning. Um, she wasn't my she didn't win last year for me, but she was nominated for Wildlife. So she's been nominated two years in a row for me. I love Carrie Mulligan. I also love her like I don't give a shit about like every time she pops up and she's like go fuck yourself sort of attitude. Mm-hmm. Carrie Mulligan's great. I love Carrie Mulligan. Um, one of the things I mean, I, Rada Blank is good. Haley Bennett is like transcendent. In this movie, except for the fact that the movie, the script is so weird and, mm. and not very good, so she doesn't get a, an opportunity to do a lot of awesome stuff except eat dirt. You know, at one yeah. point, like, oh, she's eating dirt really well. Whatever. Um, I think the Oscars, and I think this, our lists are always, I always see our lists as a referendum on the Oscars, need to expand their horizons a yeah. little bit more because our lists are always. <laughs> much fucking better than them. And the thing I always love about the thing I, I just want to go back to Jesse Buckley. Though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You always say this about performances is just the mouth. Oh, so and she's doing mouth. that. Um, my dad used to always say like he hated Ellen Berkeley. Berkeley is that her name. Uh, I can't remember the actress's name. Ellen Barkin. Ellen Barkin was that her name. She was like. What was that movie where she like switched bodies? It was a it was a guy who was like a misogynist. It was a late eighties movie. He dies. He switched bodies with a woman, and it's with this actress. Oh yeah, uh, Ellen. I think it's Ellen Barkin. Ellen, I think it's Ellen Barkin. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, but he hated the mouth acting because uh-huh. she was always like talking out of the side of her mouth, mm. sort of thing. Um, but like. The entire time I watch this movie, just like watching Jesse Buckley's mouth, like because you could, you so could, you could literally 
for as great as this movie looks, just like close that movie in on Jesse Buckley's mouth and just be like, yeah, of course I know what's going on. I know the emotions of this movie. Mm-hmm. It's incredible. I mean, she's incredible. She makes Pauline Kale seem interesting. I mean, and that's like a... Uh, it's like, <laughs> Take that, Pauline Kale. You're dead. Pauline Kale's had a bad year. She is. I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm feel bad for Paul and Kale that it's in the service of something as shitty as Mank, but like, you know, Paul and Kale's had a bad year. If to so, be fair, I've been on the fuck Paul and Kale train for like a couple years. No, but I, I, as as a writer, I really like Paul and Kale's aesthetic. I like where she's coming from. But she's like the Brett Easton Ellis of like Oh, sure. She makes no sense. Earlier. She makes no sense. That's why the Owen Gliberman episode of the Brett Easton Ellis podcast is great because she's like he essentially just calls Pauline Kale out which she's a big phony. Yeah. Or she just loved Brian De Palma for the sake of loving somebody that loving which something is, that nobody else liked. Which is fucking great because like and this is why I like I, we'll talk about this in a minute but it, I, it's a really good moment to bring it out. Is like having that Pauline Kale review of the Jim um, Cassavetes film in here. Woman Under the Influence. What was it? Woman Under the Influence. Yeah, Woman Under the Influence is great because when, when we talked about the ant kind before, I'm thinking of ending things, things works here because like the Pauline Kale influences in ant kind through and through. Sure. And like the weird, like Armand White kind of like. <laughs> Uncomfortability. Well, he like, loves like him just he being, digs but just, into that, yeah. But he's he's you could still kind of feel with that like Kaufman kind of dealing with Armand White not sure. being a, 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 a fan of his. But it's also him but respecting Armand White. It's respecting him, but it's also like going like I don't know. It's almost like a, a self consciousness sort of sure. thing. Sure, and then self review. Yeah. And in the then, voice of Pauline Kale. And then when he does that, it's kind of like an exorcism. Mm-hmm. And like, oh, absolutely. He, and Jesse Buckley, like, she delivers it. Fuck into that. Yeah. And just does it. But that's the beauty of that movie is that she delivers all these separate little tiny exorcisms. Or she, there's yeah. that. There's the moment that you reference in your top 10 moments where she's just like, the moment you reference too. Exactly. Here are some things that I think about you. And whether or not you acknowledge that I'm talking about you is a totally different thing. It's, it's basically, but I'm talking about. I mean, I don't know. I, it almost feels like Jesse Buckley like sat next to Charlie Kaufman and was like brain, like did a possessor brain meld. But don't there. you love the fact that like Brie Larson was going to play that role? No. How would she would have done? How would she have done that? Do you think? Not as well. I don't think as well either. I mean, I think Brie Larson's a great actress, but just not. There would have been too much earnestness and not enough humor. You know what it would have been? I think I think Brie Larson would have been slightly more self-conscious about herself to, mm. to dig into it. Yeah. And this what, is what a presumption. For Brie Larson. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. Whereas I think Jesse Buckley just doesn't give a shit. I agree. It's one of the... It's, it's a great performance. Screenplays! Woo-woo. We love screenplays. We sort of love screenplays. We do. Adapted? Yeah, adapted. We, okay. got, we got four more categories, my friend. What of them is going to take us forever? What of them Adapted screenplay. Uh-huh. My nominees are Charlie Kaufman, I'm Thinking of Ending Things. Yep. Steve McQueen and Alistair Siddons, Mangrove. Steve McQueen, Alistair Siddons, Red, White, and Blue. Ruben Santiago Hudson, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. 
and Stevie Paston and Tom McCarthy, Timmy Failure. What? what? Debris, uh, we overlapped a few times. Uh, I was like, I, you like do a check mark, and I thought we overlapped every time, and I was like, that's exciting. No, no, because two of those aren't um, adapted screenplays. <laughs> <laughs> they are by your standards, but oh, not by right, my standards. Right, right, right. Uh, my I, no, so I here's, forgot we have different adapted screenplay standards. Here's the first mention of this movie, Mario. Really quickly. I consider real-life situations to be adapted. Right. And, and that's not how anybody else considers it, but I just did it because I have a lot of Best Original Screenplay nominations I want to have happen. It's not the end of the world. And so go fuck yourselves. <laughs> if you disagree with me... Meet me at my house, this and is, I will. We should have given you enough clues to where the pivotal dome towers I are. I will immediately cower at you and agree. Yeah. Speaking of cowering, my number five is the first time this movie has gotten mentioned. I'm pretty sure it's the only time this movie is getting mentioned. Kelly Reichert. And Jonathan Raymond first cow. That's good. That's a good one. That's a good one for a kid not mention though. Feelings about the fact that it's out. Do you have any thoughts? It's out. What do you mean? I mean, like of our lists. It's good. It's just fine. It's good. It's it's a great. No, it's a great fucking movie. It's just it's a really good fucking year. Mm. That I, movie made me feel good about myself, but then like other stuff made me feel good about my like. Yeah, I know what you I, mean. It's not personal. It's just like a good overall feeling movie, but it's not a personal movie. I love Kelly Reichert. I'm, I feel my feeling about First Cow is that the f- opening scene and the ending scene are the best parts of the movie. He's more Alia Shawkat. Or just more skeletons. Like, I feel like the skeletons. He's more Alia Shawkat looking at skeletons. Well, I feel like the skeletons are. are Maybe this is uh, maybe I'm misreading this. Maybe I'm misreading my own thoughts. But the skeletons have more going for them than like the alive people do. No, no, is agreed. That, is that real? No, agreed. No, agreed. I, agreed. Um, my number four, Timmy Failure. Mistakes are made. I fucking love Timmy Failure. I'm so glad. Timmy fucking Failure, man. This movie's so good. Um, I'm gonna no, be honest. That's my number two. Yeah. Timmy Failure is. It, it's if you haven't so seen Timmy fun. Failure and you don't like movies, just see Timmy. Failure. You should, and you should see it because to remind you what Portland was like before it became uh, whatever it is now. It's not it, what it came now. It's great. It's also got Wallace Shawn. It's got Wallace Shawn. It's got a good Craig Robinson performance, and it's got good metaphors. Something that some people in this year don't believe in metaphors. Um, the personal history of David Copperfield. Adapted by Armando Iannucci, my number three. Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Ruben Santiago Hudson, number two. I, I guess we agree on our number one. I'm thinking of ending things. I'm thinking of ending things with the Charlie Kaufman. I mean, it, I'm uh, glad you liked I'm Thinking of Ending Things. After, oh God, your, so after your fear of like it being a bad movie. But you know, but I think it's because it's the same instinct that you probably have about your number, maybe not in your number one, but like. I'm so attached to a lot of Charlie Coffin's work mm-hmm. that I was afraid it seemed like him well, but adapting. You also, a, and also after um, Animal, Animalasia. Anomalisa. Yeah, whatever. Him adapting a shit book, or what I interpreted to be a shit book. A very s- minor book. Seemed yeah. like a... Well, that, the way that it was presented was just Charlie Kaufman adapting a novel, question mark. Um you know, dot, 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 question mark with some italics to just show tone. 
I was just like, oh my god, like he's giving up. Like he's yeah. fucking done. He's just taking that Netflix movie. Exactly. And and on Netflix. That's like, that's terrible. Um, but no, he fucking killed it. He knocked it out of the fucking park. It's great. Yeah. Um, we'll talk about I'm thinking of ending things a lot more. Yep. So we'll just move on. Uh, best original screenplay. Yeah. Uh, you go first. That'll be fun. Number five to five bloods, Spike Lee and others, because he always writes with like four other people. Spike Lee at all? Um, I love that he includes everybody else, but it's clearly just like a Spike Lee idea. Like <laughs> who else? Who's who else's idea could this hey, be? How would a how would a how would an Asian person write this? How would a white person write this? Just fill yeah. us in. Uh, Mangrove, Steve McQueen, um, the forty-year-old version, Rada Blank is my number three. Uh, Tommaso, Abel Ferreira, which is a movie I loved, but got kind of surpassed by everything else. But it's going to show up here. I, I really um, uh, identified with a lot of like a lot of the themes in the movie. I mean, if you like watching Italian women have no bra on, uh, Tommaso is the movie for you. But if you also want to ex- like know what it's like to kind of have thoughts and feelings and be overly attached to certain aspects of your existence and just imagine how your life would function without them um, and the crushing blows that come with like everyday parenthood and existing, Tommaso's the movie for you. And then my number one, Kajillionaire, Brand of July. It's original. It feels fresh. It's complicated. Um, it's quirky. It's it's emotional. It's kind of hitting all the notes I I, I look for in a movie, um, but also is fun, which is which is good. This is never. I, we have no overlap. Yes, we That's did it. Never good. happened. We did it good this year. Um, Steve McQueen, Alistair Siddons, Education, uh, Emerald uh, Fennel, Promising Young Woman, Eliza Hitman. Uh, Never, really, sometimes, always. Darius Martyr, Abraham Martyr, mm-hmm. Sound of Metal, and Celine Cinema, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Uh, number one. That's your number one. Take a guess. Is that your number one? Portrait of a Lady on Fire. That is my number. That's my winner. Moving on. Not surprised. <laughs> All right, director, and then we'll we'll take a break before yeah. our top tens. All right. I'll go first. Cause, cause, no, I'll go first because because it's it's presented out of order. Okay. But like, come on. Uh, my nominees are Steve McQueen, Mangrove, Small Axe Mangrove, uh-huh. Charlie Kaufman. I'm thinking of ending things. Uh-huh. Emerald Fennel, uh, Promising Young Woman, mm-hmm. Celine Cinema, Portrait of Lady on Fire, and guess my number five. Oh man, I don't know. Just guess the movie. Collective. Kleber Mendeco Filio Baccarat. Interesting. Very interesting. Um, my number five, Rada Blank for the 40 year old version. Uh, number four, Pedro Costa for uh, Vitalina Varela. God damn it. This is like two movies I haven't seen. Number three, Miranda July for Cajillionaire. <sighs> my number two is Charlie Kaufman. I'm thinking of ending things. Because there is no my number one without this guy. So he's winning this award two times in the three years we've been doing this podcast, Mario. McQueen? Steve McQueen for Lover's Rock. 
Lover's Rock. Lover's Rock. I thought he would open it for Mangrove. Lover's Rock doesn't function as a thing without the vision and execution of Steve McQueen. That's true. It's, it just it's it just can't. True. I mean, it, so if you don't respond to it, you don't respond to it. But if you do respond to it, what you're responding to is Steve McQueen's direction of this film. That's literally all you're responding to is that he had an idea and he fucking executed it literally perfectly. And that's why he's got my director. Not. I'm assuming Celine Siema has yours. Director. Uh, we'll be right back with our best films of the year list. 